Welcome back. We are live for another episode of Growing With My Fellow Growers. We are short, at least one panel member this week or two. Uh, Brandon Rust and Aaron the Grower will not be joining us. Uh, send some good vibes out there to Aaron the Grower. He's up in the Northern California regions that have some fires going on. So uh, good thoughts going out to Aaron the Grower, definitely. And uh, we'll catch Brandon maybe next week. But first, I want to pass it to Spartan Grown. Welcome back. Thanks, Jack. Happy to be here. Um, Spartan Grown. I'm a organic grower at home here in Michigan at work. I grow in synthetics. You can find me on Instagram at Spartan Grown, all one word with no spaces. And if you don't do the social media, you can shoot me an email at SpartanGrown at gmail.com and I'll do my best to answer your question. Welcome back and uh, thank you for joining us. Uh, you can also be reached uh, via email if you don't use social media, media at jackgreenstock47 at gmail.com. So uh, Spartan always reminds me of that. There are people out there that don't use social media and props to you probably uh, have a little bit better life for it in some respects. Um, but that being said, there's positive sides of it. Um, YouTube, I guess, being one of them, which are on right now. And I'm going to pass it over next to uh, fellow YouTuber, Matthew Gates. Yeah, hey, everyone. Uh, this is Matthew Gates. I'm an integrated pest management specialist for those in the chat who don't know, though I'm seeing already that we have several people here uh, that I definitely recognize. And I always appreciate that we have these interactions. Um, and uh, yeah, actually right now I am uh, editing a video of me and Aaron uh, that we had a couple of weeks ago where we talked about uh, insect vision and how you can sort of weaponize light uh, and other EM radiation for that matter for um, your IPM needs for pest control and uh, retra uh, attraction, repellency and all that sort of stuff. So if you're interested in that, subscribe to my YouTube channel, Xenthanol the same account that I am also using in the chat itself. Always good to have you back. And next up, we have Kyle Breeder. Hey, everybody. Glad to be here again. Uh, yeah, I hope Aaron's doing all right. Uh, I mean, shoot, when I was there last weekend, uh, it was, like, extremely bad, and it's only gotten worse. So, But, um, but yeah, so if anyone's uh, – I specialize in uh, cannabis breeding and specifically feminized seeds, if anybody's looking for that kind of thing. I do have a website, which is uh, the letter P followed by breeding.com um, on all social media platforms. Uh, I do uh, I do reach back if anybody has any questions or any concerns about anything that I'm doing or you just have questions in general. I do do giveaway every Wednesday. So if you want to get on that, I'm basically giving away, you know, big packs of feminized seeds for free. Um, but yeah, just glad to be here. I'm glad everyone's still safe uh, at the moment and uh, glad we're still here. Cheers to that and cheers to free seeds, man. Always happy to see you and anyone else who's uh, doing that, giving them away. That's uh, good stuff, sharing and helping the community grow. So thank you to you for that and joining us again this week. Last and certainly not least, the American one. We might have some late joiners, but welcome. Hello, Jack. Hello, panel. Hello, everyone in chat. It's always good to be here. I'm the American one on YouTube and the American one underscore with underscore Keens uh, on the IG. Uh, most of you know me, it's, I'm easy to find. You can hit me up on the DMs and IG and, uh, yeah, good to see everyone. Good to see you. Always happy to have you back. I thought a fun topic, at least to kick it off this week before I'm going to try and use the actual YouTube, um, survey feature this week, not the straw poll. So you won't have to click any foreign links, but, uh, before we get into that, I just kind of think it'd be fun to share maybe some stories about our times that we've had edibles. And uh, maybe if it's gone awry, maybe when we've taken them a little bit uh, too strong of a dose. And I think that we all may have had 
one of those experiences every now and then. And then to wrap that up, maybe we could give a suggestion on how to avoid getting that uh, maybe too high of a dose and or dosing recommendations for certain types of edibles. So I guess uh, one that I could share recently I had um, with a infused beverage and it was only like 10 milligrams per serving, but I started taking like double and triple shots of these little things. And uh, I was also consuming dabs and uh, smoking during the time, but normally when I'm using cannabis, I feel very comfortable using it. And I just got like kind of that tinge of like an uncomfortable high. And um, it reminded me of times when I was younger where I just like eaten too many brownies and gotten high for like a whole day or uh, got really high where you feel paranoid. Like every car you see, you think is a cop car or something like that. And uh, they can lead to unpleasant experiences. I tend to find that happen with edibles. I know it's not strictly grow related, but a lot of us end up using our trim and other things to make metables, edibles, whatever you want to call them, infused uh, cannabis things. And I know Spartan Grown is a longtime uh, cannabis edible user, and uh, the American one is a cookie a day kind of guy. So I'll pass it first over to uh, Spartan Grown and ask if you've ever had one of those experiences where maybe you took a little bit too big of a dose and how'd you uh, end up dialing it back down and figuring out like appropriate doses from that point forward? Um, yeah, for sure. So I've overdosed, we'll say on cannabis when I made, I was early starting to make edibles and I made brownies that I made them in mini loaf can mini loaf, uh, pans, you know, like you'd make a zucchini bread out of or something, just the smaller loaves, but I ate the whole loaf and, uh, without even sitting down and trying to figure out the dosage, I just ate it cause it tasted good. And later after the fact, I sat down and figured out how much oil I used and how many loaves I made and, and how many milligrams that was. And it was over like a thousand milligrams of THC. And it, it was like a psychedelic experience that fucked me up. And it wasn't, I wouldn't say that it was, I wouldn't, I wouldn't say it was terrible, but I wouldn't want to do it again. If that makes sense. And, um, it was, I got the spins. So the, the rooms were spinny. So I'd have to make sure I, if I turn the light on so I could see something to focus on, it would stop the room from spinning. Um, and then, uh, after that, it was more like, I just lost, um, my sense of reality, I guess. And, um, it was almost, almost like a dream kind of like, I was thinking, I, I might've gone through this on here before, but I was for some reason in my mind's eye, I pictured my whole self shattering like a shard of glass into a million different pieces. And I was like trying to will the pieces back together the whole time. And um, that lasted for, I mean, this whole thing, I can't tell you time frame. I don't know. It seemed like it took forever, but it could have been two minutes, right? So hold on, let me silence my phone. That's annoying. And uh, yeah, so to dial it back what i mean my mistake was is i didn't even i just made shit and didn't even try to figure out the dosage so after that i learned my lesson that you can go too hard on cannabis and it can be a bad experience so it's it's smart to at least figure out what your dosage is <laughs> and dial it back um but i mean you could do something as simple as okay i ate a whole loaf and that's that a was great way too much like sure. half is one <laughs> you know <laughs> 
Oh, my internet cut out. I thought you froze, but I froze. <laughs> yeah, but no, that's that's pretty much it. I don't. Was there another part of the question? Um, no, I think you answered it very well, and uh, I just think that you uh, your experience is very good to share with the community because I think a lot of people, if they haven't gotten into edibles, they're becoming more and more common, and um, they can make them themselves if they're growing at home, like most people that listen to the show do. So I think that it's a fun topic to touch on. And I know the American one is a uh, cookie man, cookie machine over there. He gets grumpy if he doesn't have that uh, edible cookie a day. So I'd love to hear your thoughts. Uh, if you've ever had maybe too strong of a cookie dose and then uh, how'd you start figuring out that perfect cookie dose? Well, I, you know, I built, you build up a tolerance if you continue to take it like every day. So that's a factor as well. But from the get-go, the first time I ever ate the whole cookie, I would just laugh. I was laughing with this chick for like, like an hour straight. Everything was fucking funny. But <clears throat> after that, I had uncomfortable experiences, but shrooming, not with edibles from cannabis. And uh, But what did happen is like I was totally disabled. Like I could not stand up and walk. It was like I just couldn't do it for like a I had to like, um, yeah, wait a while. So that's how uh, potent the shit was. But other than that, I would enjoy it every single time. But I've had feedback from people like, man, I thought I was dying. I thought I was going to die. Uh, to one, to two, somebody gave it to their friends who had to go out to dinner with their parents to a fancy restaurant. And they could not stop laughing. They had to literally get up and leave the place because they couldn't control themselves. So, like, yeah, you definitely can have experiences. And it's a totally different thing. People are like, yeah, but I'm a pothead. I smoke every day. I smoke a lot every day. I'm like, yeah, it's not the same. It affects you differently, and it is it is awesome. Or it could be frightening. Yeah, definitely could be frightening. So let me ask you this question, Tal. If you could only have one high... For the rest of your life, would it be an edible high or a smoked high? Yo, that's not fair, man. That is not fair. Uh, yeah, I, uh, dude, that's not fair. I have to say smoked, but that's like not medical. My that's favorite. Like a lot less green. convenient. Yeah, my favorite is edible high. I don't care, man. My RSO high specifically is. But it's just high. like I could never smoke again. I would. If, if somebody said, I yeah. can't have RSO, I can't have RSO if I, you know, smoke flour that, but I could have RSO for the rest of my days. If I chose not to smoke flour, I wouldn't smoke another bud ever. That's how much I like the RSO high. It's just, not only is it a nice high, but it's also medicinal. Like you were just saying. Yeah. It's long, long as lasting it. too. It lasts so much longer than smoking for me, at least dabs, flour, like, whatever. It's so hard to find something that can last as long as a good dose of. I'm going to, I'm going to also say and have to echo that even though I actually don't really, um, imbibe through edibles or anything like that for the most part, um, I'm going to echo what Chitter Bob 13 saying your smoking is actually unhealthy for you. And that's a controversial subject, but certainly to some degree, I think it's uncontroversial to say that putting particles in your lungs <clears throat> that they're not meant to actually deal with maybe right. is a little bit better or less better than like just ingestion like that. It's just in general, you know, 
Um, I'll, I'll just be the devil's advocate just for fun. Not to say that I disagree with your point. I do think that smoking anything is potentially dangerous and harmful to your health, whatever. But um, there's so much shit in the environment in modern day. And most people <laughs> live in cities and suburbs. And there was a case back in the Elden Times when they prescribed cannabis for people who had asthma to open up their lungs because of the amount of pinene and it helped people breathe. And I think in modern times, they, there's been studies by like UCLA, who I believe is a pretty legitimate school. And uh, they've showed that people that smoked up to three joints a day actually had less incidences of lung cancer than people who didn't smoke cigarettes, cannabis, nothing. So there may be some, some people would theorize or postulate and correlation doesn't not equal causation or whatever, but the people that were just smoking cannabis and not smoking any tobacco, we're not getting high rates of lung cancer like was suspected. And it's interesting to me to think that maybe there is like Rick Simpson found with his high THC oil that he used to cure his skin cancer. Maybe there's some anti-cancer benefits to the THC that's being inhaled in people's lungs. Because- I think that also it's a spectrum, like a lot of things, right? Like um, people's sensitivities, um, like, you know, uh, just to bring up the chat again, CD social and growing says that lungs are meant to deal with smoke. You know, Let me but, say, ob- but obviously not like, <laughs> um, you know, not not like all the time. And certainly and certainly there can be damage. Right. So some people are going to be more or less sensitive to this, too. And over time, like something can be acutely problem and toxic and toxic to you or it can be chronically toxic to you. And that's pretty basic pharmacology, I think. It really does so- depend on what you're consuming to uh, go ahead, Tyler. What I was, my opinion is this for certain conditions like PSTD, or if you're just stressing out and like if you're racy mind and can't relax, cannabis smoking could be uh, considered medicinal, medicinal rather, even just like the breathing element, like calming but, you down, making yeah, you, you know, and stress in like stress is a, a in the background of a whole bunch of diseases and things so that could be medical but the real medical is like spartan and someone else saying about edibles where you could take in doses that are impossible to intake i think smoking it because like if you have rick simpson oil and you do the recommended dose that's a gram a day for 30 days that's um that's a lot like but but that's why people like Tommy Chong could smoke weed or, or anybody could smoke weed their whole life and still come and still get some sort of, um, you know, ailment. But I think if everybody could. Well, he stopped smoking when he got cancer. He was in yeah, jail he was for in selling jail. bongs. So yeah. he got cancer while he was in prison, not using cannabis. He got out and he started yeah, using cannabis again. So you might see the CBD thing saying, oh, I don't use cannabis, but I smoked weed with Tommy Chong, with my wife. We won some giveaway thing and he still smokes like a fucking chimney. He smoked with us for like right. two and a half, three hours, joint after joint, didn't pass on one. So he definitely still smokes high THC weed. Like no and uh, it's also cancer free oh, knowledge. I, I just also want to say that it's true. Um, it's also important to consider that like, this is this is less of a can, uh, smoking versus edibles. So we're getting a little bit in the weeds, but I just want to say um, the cannabinoids in your system, you know, not only just your endogenous cannabinoids that your body makes, but the exogenous ones that we all, know and love um those can have effects on your physiology that you might not want to have um uh, speaking from personal experience warfarin a blood thinner not something that i take personally um but i know people who do no other and, 
yeah and that can be a that can have an effect right and then also other things can modulate no of course there's the things that we're trying to to accommodate for medicinally right so i'm not trying to discount that but you can have other interactions that are unique to yourself that um, you might not want also uh, interactions with other medications for that matter other medicinal substances so i'll say this i don't think cannabis is is a cure-all and i don't think that it's harmless by any means i think there is potentially some damage that can be done but i think it's much less than the health benefits that are associated with all the positive things that come along with it whether it's a psychological well-being or uh, reduced inflammation, or maybe potentially the things that we're referring to with like cancer and the benefits there. Um, but to get back onto Spartan's question, if I had to stop smoking to just take edibles for the rest of my life, I would choose the edibles for the rest of my life because it's the convenience of it. I love smoking, I love the smell. I'd still grow flower and maybe like, you know, give it to my friends and things like that. Cause I just love the smell of it. I love the look of it. And I love breaking it down and like even making joints and stuff for other people. Like even if I don't smoke it, I get joy out of that. Um, but it's just so much less convenient. I'd have to smoke so many joints or bong bowls or whatever it is per day to get the amount of medication that I could get out of a few tubes of RSO and just be able to go to work and help people in a different way and not have to like take a smoke break every you know hour or whatever it is. And um, so that's what I would choose, but thankfully we don't have to choose. So I imbibe them both and enjoy them both very much. So I wanted to pass it back to Matthew on the edible front. Have you ever had a too large of a dose where you felt kind of uncomfortable and uh, if so, what kind of uh, thing got you into that place? Uh, yes, I did. Um, I've actually had it happen a few times. And um, in one case, I actually, I, I became a, a very hypermedic. And uh, that was not great. <laughs> what does that and, mean to uh, a layman in the audience? So I started to uh, have a mesis a lot, which means that I started to vomit quite a bit. So that wasn't a fun experience. Um, and uh, the psychological effects of ondansetron or promethazine were really helpful um, for abating that sort of nausea reaction too, for those who have ever been in that situation. And of course there's the, um, the, the common sort of folk remedy that I've used, which is a really hot shower. And I don't really understand why that was really helpful um but it was so um from and and i and i in particular this is unique to me um i i definitely can have issues with nausea for other reasons and for other reactions so um i definitely don't take that as representative of most people's responses i think i might be in the camp of people who have kind of like how some people for some people caffeine from coffee makes them uh tired instead of wired, I think that I might be in the camp of people who has maybe uh, opposite of the normal or typically normal reaction that a lot of people have um, to maybe at least certain kinds of um, uh, <laughs> cannabinic experiences, right? Um, but the problem, of course, is that edibles can be hard to, hard to um, for me anyway, sometimes hard to tell how much you're taking and, and what you're what your limitation is so for that mysterious quotient alone i can't really uh i can't really hang or i or i or i'm very trepidatious if i use very small amount then uh it can be really great um and it can and i can measure that but uh i don't i don't like to play hard and fast with the uh with the dose response 
Yeah, I would advise everyone to ease into the edibles, take little pieces until I know so many people got ruined from it. But also, I know people that have taken half of one one day and and loved it so much. The next day they take the other half and they get zonked, like, yeah, have an uncomfortable time of it the next day. So I also think maybe depending on the person, the day, what they eat. A whole bunch of factors come into play, which might make dosing more difficult with uh, cannabis in general. I think that it's also notable that for me, um, I have never been um, like, for example, I've never been like wasted with alcohol, for example, and I don't drink anymore. Um, That's another thing that I can't handle. (laughs) So with regards to that, um, I'm with you. but I, uh, I definitely had issues. I, I've never gotten to the point. I've never gotten to the point of getting buzzed where my stomach could handle it. Um, so I've never had, I never even gotten to that point. And I think that that's related in some capacity. I know that alcohol kind of works like a dirty drug. For those who don't know, a dirty drug is a drug that affects multiple things instead of being like a scalpel that could maybe affect one very specific thing about your physiology, essentially especially when it comes to like your brain and that kind of stuff. So I think that like, when I look at like my reactions to like, um, basically uh, too much uh, like THC, for example, and maybe that could be modulated with other cannabinoids or other substances, or maybe too much alcohol, um, that sort of like nausea that that comes on afterwards. Um, whatever is like related in that Venn diagram, I think is, is what's affecting me. And it's also helpful that things that affect your nausea response um, we're able to calm me down. Um, so maybe something in the future that's a little bit more sophisticated uh, might be helpful for those sorts of people. So I just wanted to give kind of a little warning for anybody who does have the, like, I think it's called CHS or even just any sort of thing that makes you have vomiting. Um, if, if you're getting relief from hot showers and you are having vomiting with that, I would just put out there to try and stay hydrated. I know it's going to be difficult because you are vomiting, but you have to try and get some liquids, probably even more than just water, like a, some sort of electrolyte drink. It doesn't have to be any specific branded one, but you need to rehydrate because like Brandon had a friend who actually ended up dying from the complications of CHS. He was vomiting so much. I think it ended up having a renal failure. So the dehydration has ended up, up what killed him because he vomited so much and he was taking these hot showers and just he had it really 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 badly but it's just a cautionary tale i guess and um the last person on the panel who i could pass it over to i know that even just smoking a little bit for uh in your like you know more adult life has you know made you feel paranoia and things like that but kyle do you have any edible stories where maybe you took a little bit too large of a dose and uh if so what was it and maybe how could you avoid it in the future by finding that proper dose if you have so far or since then I do. I do have one uh, one definite uh, paramount uh, situation that I had. Uh, I think this was, I want to say maybe seven or eight years ago. Um, this kid showed up at work and he had this big square that looked like a fruit roll up, but it was like thick and it was a, some kind of, you know, just like a massive square gummy. And I was like, oh, let me try a piece of that. And he's like, oh, these are only for like, you know, heavy users. He's like, well, he said, basically he said one, one, one square of like, let's just say if it was broken into four quarters, that one quarter was for heavy users. And I was like, all right, well, just give me like a little bit of that. But, so <clears throat> for some reason he ripped it in half and then gave it to me. And I'm like, dude, you just, you, you literally just told me that 
I'm only supposed to, take, supposed to take like one square. And he's like, oh, either you want it or you don't. And I was like, oh, well, I used to be like a savage when I was younger. So yeah, I'll just eat the whole thing. So I ate the whole thing. And, and I was at work and I had extra, I was tweaking out extremely bad to the point where I couldn't even like hold my tools. I was like shaking and I tried to induce vomiting, but like it was already too late because it was like in my system. And uh, I don't suggest this to anybody, but if anybody is having, uh, this works for me. So uh, again, this is not for everybody, but if you are having like an extremely uh panic attack onset because especially with edibles because like once it's once it's in like you're just basically screwed um drinking a beer radically it's an immediate uh it's a downer so it's like it's on the spot right immediate relief from uh that and that's what i actually did i had some beers in my trunk and i like secretly grabbed one and uh basically just chugged it and immediately it, it balanced me right out to where i was kind of fine um but in regards to moving forward so i actually just had some uh I was at the um, like a little mini vacation this weekend and there was somebody had some gummies and basically, you know, they told me to eat the whole thing. And now from, so what I do and it just ensures a, a better outcome is I just either, I just do half. So whatever everyone thinks I should do, I do half of that. And then I just let it sit in, you know, and from there I'm like, Oh, I feel kind of, kind of bubbly and giggly. And then, you know, then I can, from there I can gauge if I double that, AKA eating the other half where I can be at and, um, so I just do half, you know, whatever people think you should do. I, I just do half. And that's, I have a pretty good turnout on that. It's definitely some good advice. It's like a nutrient dosing, you know, just sometimes cutting it in half will help you out there a lot. And um, I had a thought on the edible thing, but I totally blanked. So we have yeah, a few. So oh, go ahead. Break, uh, on the, the topic of if you feel too high, I put it in check because just in case I'd forgotten, but if you feel too high, I found that CBD oil is the best cure, but um, things that are in most people's houses, you might be able to find some black peppercorns. If you bite down on those, that's not pleasant, but it does seem to help. I've tried it. Also high sugary foods or sugar itself will like speed up your metabolize, metabolism, metabolism, which is going to push that stuff through quicker. Um, there was something else too. CBD is the best. Yeah, I don't know. I can't think. Of, oh, just eating something, exactly. eating or exactly. drinking something, you know, get something in your stomach that could help too. If as long as you're not feeling nauseous, and it takes your mind off of the high, you're then consuming something. You're like, oh, this food is it tastes good. You're probably high. It's gonna taste better. What Kyle talked about um, with the beer, beer is a depressant. The drug class depressant. It lowers your heart rate. It does a lot of other things. Like Matthew mentioned, it's a dirty drug. Uh, just technically, it affects like your vision, your hearing, a bunch of different stuff. It's affected by alcohol just like cannabis affects a whole bunch of different stuff. Um, but like one of the things is it can make people tachycardic, which means their heart rate is accelerating. And when you don't understand maybe that, or even if you do understand it's from the cannabis, it's just not comfortable to hear your heart, like, you know, beating in your chest. People get paranoid when they feel that. Cause they're like, Oh shit, I'm going to have a heart attack. And then that thought of I'm going to have a heart attack turns into like paranoia or panic attack, or it just gets your mind racing about other thoughts that you could be uh, worrying about. So all the tips Spartan just gave were great ones. That was the thought I was having was I was going to suggest CBD and the uh, peppercorns. Even if you don't have peppercorns, even just smelling black pepper, there's alpha pinene and there's uh, beta caryophyllene, which are terpenes that you find in cannabis as well that will help calm and relax you. And uh, just eating things in general, uh, like Spartan was mentioning, all really great tips. So with that being said, I looked over to the chat 
and I see that we've got a decisive winner chat Q&A. Once again, I know that people show up live, they want to get their Q&A in. We've also got concentrate making, so maybe we could touch on that a little bit later because that was 32%. Uh, 36% of the vote went to the chat Q&A. IPM, unfortunately, only 7%, and seed popping, cloning, and veg got 26%. So if we run out of uh, question and answer, we could go to concentrate making. And when we're done talking about concentrates, we'll get into cloning veg and all that. And if we have any time at the end, we can hit IPM. So the results of the of the of the um, of the poll do uh, match up with my biases that most people aren't really worried about biosecurity until it's a problem. But uh, we also talk about it all the time, so that could be the reason too. <laughs> that is true. We've had a few uh, months where I think we went pretty IPM heavy, and. Um, I think sometimes people have, they're like, hey, we're here. We have specific questions that might be not in any of those things. And we talk about those things a lot. So if you do have questions, tag at Sheep Home Grow, uh, at Jack Greenstock, or any of the specific panel members you see here in the chat, if you see them commenting in the chat and you want to direct it at them, uh, that'll be the easiest way for us to find your question. And we'll try and get you on the show that way. Um, yeah, they could ask questions about those topics if they want to, too. So they get it all. Exactly. There you go. If, if you feel like one of those topics that you voted for, um, you want to have us talk about, drop a good question. And who knows, we can end up rambling on about it for 15 or 20 minutes. That usually ends up happening. So whoever asked the first good question. My biggest issue right now is my outdoor. I've got one plant, but it's getting tall. And it hasn't, I mean, it's just now beginning flowering. So it's still going to stretch like crazy. I'm trying to decide when's the best time for me to bend this fucker down. Should I do it now, early? Like I'm probably first week of flower right now, or should I wait until like the middle of stretch, smash it down onto a, like a fence or something for a scrog and then give it the, you know, two more weeks of stretch to get up to it. I don't know. I haven't, but I'm almost at the top of the fence that I need to be under. I'd be scrogging at your point. I'd put a few posts around that plant, stretching that across it and start widening, right. widening it out. Yeah, that's probably what we have to do. While we're waiting for q and I thought about this earlier too. I think a great topic that we don't haven't done in a while is a garden update. So you just gave us your outdoor garden update, Spartan. You've got a plant outdoor that's looking fantastic, if I do say so myself. You did the pruning. It looks like it's got some good airflow. It looks healthy and happy. How's the uh, indoor garden looking? And what do you got going on in there? Uh, it's doing good. I've, what am I doing? So I just, um, just harvested a cuvee and... What do I got left in there? I got a Spartan glue, a uh, GG4 that's just come back into my garden. Uh, shout out to Skillbo. He was holding my GG4 for me. Uh, so I brought that back in. And then uh, there was something else in there. What was the other thing? Oh, sour diesel. And I have sour diesel going in there. But on my on the other light, I'm excited because I've got um, two of my Bliss Bud that uh, I made. Uh, you know, one and three, I believe. No, one and two, maybe. And then... Um, I've got, I'm doing a, it's like a little experiment. So I'm looking to try to solve the issue with Mac as far as the slow veg. So my idea is, is to grow two small plants and put them in the same pot. I would put one plant in that way I can reduce my veg time because I don't have to have as big of a plant because I'm putting two in the same pot. So that's what I'm doing right now. I've got a Mac that's in the same sip container, but there's two in it, one in front of the other. So Right now they look great. So I'm happy. So I'm really excited to see that. And then my last plant and flower is um, something that was sent to me. It was a orange dream haze it's called. And um, he just, the guy described it to me as being a fast finishing haze. 
And he said uh, that it's usually done after nine weeks. So we'll see. This looks great, though. It's freaking won't stop. That sounds kind of delicious. Orange dream. It sound. It sounds good. I always like when you get a name like that. Hopefully, it lives up to the expectations. We do have a few questions now from uh, longtime listeners. We've got Sour Diesel Tangi and Crack Babies DWC. First, Sour Diesel Tangi asks at Jack Greenstock, best disinfectant for room reset. Um, personally, I think that I know that it's not like the uh, best smelling or best on the environment, but I think bleach, if you're really serious about making sure that you're trying to get rid of a lot of pathogens is a good one. Um, I think there is some gentler cleaners out there that you could use, but bleach has done well for me and I don't ever do it when there's plants in there. I take plants out, uh, bleach things, and then good old soap and water is also very effective. Uh, I like Dr. Bronner's, but I don't get much more fancy than that. So I guess I'll pass it over to uh, Kyle. What do you like to do to disinfect between runs? Yeah, I would agree with you, Jack. I would say that, uh, you know, bleach and water goes a very long way uh, in, in, you know, preventing things. Um, I'm trying to find out some products that uh, there's been some studies about, um, and I'm not trying to go off too off topic here, but um, the amount of cancers in stay-at-home moms versus working moms because of the amount of uh, products that we all commonly use, like, uh, what's, I can't even recall what the hell it was. Um, like household cleaners, disinfectants, Raid, all yeah, sorts just, of like right. uh, and, and Roundup and shit. It's being exposed to that uh, long term is just like not good. So, and that's just something I just stumbled upon in the last couple of weeks. I was talking to somebody about it. So, I'm trying to find out some more like organic products that maybe are just as effective. I don't know if you guys know of, of any or, or would be a good way to where to start or something. You go to Zenthanol on YouTube and you check out the best IPM that you can. But uh, for the one thing I will say is honestly, ditch your Roundup. If anybody you know has Roundup, tell them to throw it away. Never buy it again. That stuff, they're being sued and paying out multi-million dollar lawsuits for all sorts Already of Already have done that, yeah. For several different states, please protect yourself and your family. Don't spray it. Don't be around people spraying it. It is dangerous, in my opinion, and the courts. Um, so that is one, Kyle, that might be part of that, the household people using that stuff. Um, there are lots of organic options. I think one of them out there that I haven't tried, but people really seem to like for resetting is zero tall i think yeah. it's spelled like x-e-r-o-t-o-l z-e-r-o-t-o-l or maybe a-l i think it is it's just a fungicide um so here you go kyle this is what you do do you do you eat any citrus fruits do you eat oranges or limes or lemons or any of that stuff i try to <laughs> okay we'll get you a bag of clementine oranges they're easy to peel <laughs> um right. get you a mason jar i know you got one Throw all your jar, keep that in your fridge. Throw all your peels in that and then uh, fill the jar with vinegar. Just regular, you know, white vinegar or whatever vinegar you have, but white vinegar is usually what I use. Fill that jar up with the, so it's got all the peels and it can be a mix too. It doesn't have to all be like oranges. It could just be a mix as long as there's citrus. You're, you're looking for that citric acid. And then, yeah, you put your vinegar in there and just let it soak. And then when you're ready to clean something, mix that 50-50 with water and there's your organic cleaner. I like that a lot. How many, what's, is there like a minimal time that it should sit or it doesn't really matter? I wouldn't do, I, I at least a week is what I would do. But what I do, because I'm lazy, is I'll put a, like, like enough vinegar to cover what I have in there. So if I put a couple of peels in there, I'll just pour in a little bit, a little bit of vinegar and shut it and put it back in the fridge. And then when I eat my next fruit, I do the same thing again until it's all the way to the top. That's actually really smart, man. I like that. 
So Matthew, uh, we have a question from Shredder0911 who says, at Jack Greenstock, what do you suggest to replace Roundup to kill weeds? I have tried vinegar and it does not work. Vinegar you have a general work. thought you gotta on mix weeds? It. You got to mix. It's not just vinegar. It's uh, vinegar. So hold on. Let me get the actual recipe. It's in my phone somewhere. Go use like, dog, dog urine. I could use, I could share an ant killer, which I've just been using because in Southern California and probably many other places during the summertime, uh, black ants are a nemesis to even people with the cleanest houses and um, they sneak in. And the one that I use because I have cats and plants is it's a, like 95% water. And the other 5% is a mix of either vodka or rubbing alcohol. Um, and you use peppermint oil and cinnamon oil and a little drop of, uh, you know, like a soap to help uh, be your desiccant or spreader and shake it up, spray it. It smells good. It's not going to hurt you, your pets, or your plants. And uh, it definitely kills ants like on contact. So I'll definitely nice. back that. Cinnamon. They fucking hate cinnamon. Um, vinegar, salt, soap. So here's the recipe. A gallon of vinegar, a cup of salt, table salt, and a tablespoon of liquid dishwashing soap. You mix that together, put it in your sprayer, and fuck your weeds up. I always get nervous mixing like, those, like vinegar and soap because I know one of them makes like a, a mustard gas of sorts. It's soap and something else. I think you think of bleach. Bleach, yeah, bleach, bleach, bleach yeah. and uh, phosphorus detergent of some sort, I think, right? There's a few combinations like that. You're not supposed to mix like H2O2 with a few other things. And I don't want to get into them because I don't want to give people bad suggestions. But uh, be, be safe if you're mixing those things. Look them up before to make sure it's safe. I was going to say, I have, I use hydrogen peroxide. I spray that on my cloning area, my cloning tray sometimes as helpful disinfectant without using bleach. One thing I don't like using bleach. I mean, I'll use it on my clothes, but yeah, the reason I don't like bleach is the whole fucking, you got to go on behind it after it dries and fucking clean it again because it leaves a residue behind that Ken mold. And yeah. a lot of the, I guess they weren't scientific studies, but they were like people trialing using it uh, bleach versus mold. And a lot of the molds uh, persisted and they just were dyed white from the bleach and, but they were still there. So I'm not a huge fan of the bleach for cleaning my rooms. And I hate the smell of it. The fucking fumes. I hate it. That's why I follow up with like a Dr. Bronner soap and water. I always do scrub after because the smell it makes me think like and sequence has said uh, he used it in the past on his walls and then the plants that grew into the wall that he didn't follow up you'd see the plant hit it and then shrivel up and die so uh, definitely i suggest following it up with soap and water it'll get rid of that smell keep your well ventilated area if you can have some fans running and uh circulating but um what do you think about just like vinegar i know a lot of people like vinegar for cleaning um, does anybody use vinegar in their cleanup after I usually use not as, cleaner. Not as much myself. I did want to answer the question though. Um, so for a so weed management in general, it's not something I know a whole lot about actually. Um, I don't have to deal with them too much. Although I do know that no matter what things you're going to use, for the most part. Um, so one of the benefits of certain kinds of herbicides, even some of the synthetic ones, is that they're selective for certain kinds of plant physiology. And you don't get that with some of the alternatives that might be less toxic in general. So you just have to consider about that a little bit. I think vinegar and the mixtures you were talking about are good options. 
but on a commercial scale, of course, you might not be allowed or, you know, officially at least to use certain, certain things like this. Um, I think Shredder was asking for like their home use, how to replace Roundup, like one-to-one. And I don't think anybody mentioned like even manually pulling weeds, throwing a pair of gloves, go out there. I was going to say, actually, actually, I agree with you completely, Jack. Um, I know that that sounds really like easy to say, tougher to do, of course. And I've done my fair share or over it myself in my life. But um, uh, especially in like a home growth situation, I think that you're in the perfect circumstance to actually control with um, physical destruction, whatever that might entail whatever that's going to be easy for you in your yeah. circumstance. I think that's a lot fan. better for the environment generally than like the, for your, for your soil environment, at least. I'm a big um, fan of those propane flame torches they used to burn weeds. Fire. <laughs> Purilization is also a thing that's very popular in commercial and even home spaces. And I think actually, uh, Jack, I think there actually is a, um, a California legal flamethrower um, out there for those who want to uh, voff some flamen. There's the uh, <laughs> Tesla was selling, or not Tesla, the boring company was selling a flamethrower. Elon Musk made a bunch of them, but those sold out. Uh, it was probably way more expensive than you could just get. I think it's like for roofing. People that do like roofing, they need torches for that type of application. So it's just like a modified roofing gun, but uh, cool nonetheless. I was going to ask you a question and also share. There's a thing called Tur Till. It's solar powered. Uh, you could I set did a video your, on that. Yeah. So you basically let it out in your lawn or your garden it's solar powered and it walks around your you know garden and you mark like which things are plants by putting little plant stakes around them and then it identifies the weeds and it chops them up so it just goes around each day and chops up the weeds and the other thing is if you don't want that or can't afford that there's electric hand um they used to be gas powered but now i think electric is probably more economical just little hand weeder you know go out and weed whack it's actually pretty fun <laughs> go through and chop them up they end up being nutrients a lot of times though they regrow depending on what kind of weed it is. So if you chop it, it'll just grow right back. So that's why pulling it, taking it all the way out from the root will be more effective in many cases, or just like mulching and more effectively managing the uh, area. Mulch is the answer. Mulch is the answer it's, to get rid of weeds forever. You just yeah. bury them with mulch. It's probably, it's, it's one of those things where it's like, I can tell you what to do next time, sort of a situation, like a lot of IPM stuff. But uh, yeah, I think that like phys- physical removal or destruction, however you want to accomplish that task, in a selective way, uh, in addition to like some sort of a barrier, whether that's like a mulch barrier, right, or a plastic tar or a, a sort of sort of mesh screen or, or solution like that to get ahead of it. Um, I am very familiar with the phrase, and I think it's very true, uh, one year of seeding, seven years of weeding, and ain't that the truth. So, um, you know, preventing it from happening in the first place is, of course, superior if you can actually do that. So we've got Noah the Grower just joined us. So I want to give him a chance to introduce himself. How's it going, everybody? Uh, yeah, sorry, I was a little bit late there. But uh, yeah, I'm Noah the Grower on Instagram. Uh, two E's, you can find me there. How's it going, everybody? Doing well. We did a, I figured out the chat poll tonight on the YouTube. I don't know if you could see the YouTube chat, but I put up four <laughs> options. Chat Q&A has 34% of the vote right now. Uh, it looks like 92 people have voted, which is pretty cool. Concentrate making is in second place at 30%. Integrated pest management, 8%. And seed popping, cloning, and veg is 28%. So we have some questions, actually, that uh, I've copied over into the Zoom. I'll answer Crack Babies, DWC, and maybe anybody else can weigh in on it. They say Amber, really CBN. They're talking about Amber trichromes, really CPM, uh, CBN, which is like a, is it 
THC to CBN? I personally don't believe so. I've looked at a lot of lab tests. I've mentioned this probably many, many times at this point, but uh, I, many of them show the trichome photo and it'll show like 0% CBN and it's very heavily amber trichomes. So that to me says that there are terpenes and other things that can oxidize and change to red and um, not necessarily, or amber, always be correlated with CBN. But Spartan has an, a few other good questions following that up. So I'm curious if anybody else has thoughts on the CBN uh, comment, and then maybe we can move on to these other ones. Yeah, I've heard that same as you're, what you were saying, Jack, that uh, <clears throat> it, when it's live on the plants, THCA, and then when it, it turns, I don't even know if the amber means it's THC, like we, losing the A, but that's going from THCA to THC and then to CBN. And there were samples that someone held a long, long time. And when they tested it, there wasn't much CBN in it yet either when it was uh, stored properly. So it has to get hot or be uh, in a ton of direct sunlight. Those are ways that it can oxidize to CBN. But it's definitely an interesting thing because even some sun dried stuff doesn't turn to CBN. Like a lot of Jamaican stuff was really uplifting, even though they dry, dry it in the fields. And I guess that actually helped with uh, mold. Matt, I actually heard that on another podcast and I was meant to ask you that question. Have you ever heard about people sun drying uh, any sorts of flowers in the sun for, you know, mold remediation purposes? You know, it makes a little bit of sense because, um, you know, it's like, it's like UV radiation, like people treat their, their products or agricultural products with like uh, UV and in some cases, even microwave radiation, like with the, with regards to nuts, one of the ways that they ensure that your nuts don't, um, well, they don't have caterpillars coming out of them or any other sort of like pests is by uh, irradiating them with microwaves. And then um, then they use other processes to kind of find out or sort of tell the whether thing. the, what? So they do that same shit in cannabis, these big giant fucking right? people who don't- In Canada, Michigan, many places. Yeah, they're using that to remediate for mold testing, which from my understanding, the mold is dead and still there. It just doesn't show up on the testing, which is kind of a gross- I feel like I feel like the word- I feel like it should be mediate, maybe not remediate because they're not, uh, or I don't know. That's probably, that's probably not even true, but uh, I, I guess I feel like they're not even like processing it when they're doing that. Right. They're just killing um, spores and potentially um, like, is this post, is this when they find there's a problem or is this preventatively that you're talking about? Cause I'm only familiar with the latter. Well, in Canada, they some places do it to every single crop they grow just to try and pass testing, and then other places do it just mm -hmm. to their moldy crops. Absolutely. But if they're already molded over, I mean, I feel like that's a QC control or you know problem. No, I but, agree. Uh, it's just that that's what they're resorting to, unfortunately, at corporate uh, fucked up, poorly planned cannabis uh, places. It's not ideal for sure. That does not that does not we fill me with confidence. We have footage that uh, by we, I'm uh, shout out Medical Mondays podcast. They, um, we've had a fan who works in one of these facilities take uh, cell phone footage of them literally spraying with a hose sprayer, hose like garden hose sprayer, the plants at harvest, just spraying them with, I don't know what, but it's mind blowing some of the stuff that's going on. It makes you wonder. I think we have much better questions in this chat than the uh, big corpo fucking shitty growers have with their strategy. So we'll get over to Oki Grower's question next. He has a good question. He says, um, okay, uh, do you, Spartan Grown, do you put anything in your SIP containers to keep the res clean? I do not. Um, how I keep my res clean is I let them go dry. So I don't keep them full of water so that they can't accumulate a bunch of stuff. I fill it once 
most like in veg early veg it might go three four days before i put more water in it but in peak flower i'm usually every day to every other day i'm having to put water in it but what i mean by having to put water in it is i wait for that res to completely dry before i add water again so that's kind of how i manage my res that way I do similar and I don't have any issues, but I do, I guess, put microbes in there, which some would consider maybe it's cleaning it up. It's eating shit down there. Uh, the ones that Brandon solution is supposed to be able to work in anaerobic conditions. Like, um, so I think that is beneficial, but I don't think it's necessarily cleaning. I don't look at that as cleaning. I think that you're like feeding the biology in the soil and the roots and all that good stuff. So it's a different most, concept. Most of these soil microbes um, will produce, I don't know the name of it, but like slime around them. And so they actually, I think, I don't know. I look at microbes as producing more dirty stuff than, than cleaning, I guess. But I don't know. They break shit down too. I don't know. Yeah, it's really, a, it depends on the microbe and uh, the environment that it's in. Um, we have another good question, unless somebody else wants to hop on the SIP question. Um, they say, uh, Sacred Garden asks, at Spartan Grown, can you please explain the simple way to make RSO? Oh, wow. Yeah, I can 140 characters or less. I can simple it down quite a bit. Um, yes. So it's not the way I would do it, but yes, you can do a tincture, which is just your plant material soaked in alcohol. Use food grade alcohol. That way, if you don't do a good job purging it, you're not poisoning yourself in some way. And, um, you know, food grade alcohol would be like uh, my favorite would be Everclear, which is a good example. 190 proof is what I get. And then uh, you soak your plant material in that and then you boil off the alcohol and you're like, well, let me, let me actually skip this step. That was too, that was too broken down. You have to soak it in alcohol, then strain out the plant material. Then you're left with a tincture, then boil off the alcohol and then you're left with RSO. That is the uh, good way to boil it down. As far as the concept goes, the one thing I would suggest is <laughs> If you're out, if you're doing it, do it outdoors or in an extremely well ventilated area. Please don't blow up your house or catch yourself on fire. A lot of people use like an easy up tent, go outside, set it up on like a, you know, a little easy up table and have a crock pot and they boil off some of this stuff. And that works for them with a fan blowing over it. Just be safe, uh, please. That way is going to get extremely expensive because alcohol is not cheap. Um, no, I agree. It, I, it, I got an extra it, craft because of that I reclaim the shit yeah. personally. Exactly. It's like it pays once for you start making it. Yeah. Once you start making it and, and, and you're liking it, then then you're going to want to start looking at these machines that can actually capture some of that alcohol as it evaporates. So you don't break the bank trying to make it. I mean, some of this stuff is I don't know what the prices are out there, but up in the northern area of Michigan, where it's more remote and stuff where they can get away with price gouging, I guess. I've seen one gram, one gram of RSO asking one hundred dollars for it. That's fucked. We could get two for that here, but I mean, even 40 to 50 a gram is expensive in my opinion. Um, it's not affordable if you're trying to do, like Tad was talking about, if you're trying to do the gram a day for, I think it's, I don't know if it's 30 days or 90 days. What's the, does somebody have the Rick Simpson protocol? Because I thought it was even more than that. I think it might be three months, but I could be wrong. So, well, I think you got to build up to that. Yeah, it's over time. You start with a grain of rice and by the end of it, you're doing Yeah. No, so, okay, so. I don't know though. Yeah, don't the quote point, me on that. So, this is how I tackle, especially cancers, and that's your goal is to a gram a day. 
before you get to that goal doesn't count for shit. Right. As far as that month process, that month of a gram a day, you want a month of a gram a day. So whatever it takes you to get to, you know, ramping up to that is just the practicing. You're getting a little bit of healing, but you're not getting the full effect kind of a thing. My uncle never made it to the one gram and it killed his cancer and he was done. Um, so then I put him on the maintenance dose of eating a gram a week. So he could break it up into whatever dose he wanted at that point. But if I was ramp, if I had a new patient that I knew that came to me and they had cancer, that's my goal always in my head. I got to get them to a gram a day. So I'm going to just keep talking to them every time. And we're going to dial in that dosage every four days. We're going to try to double that dose. Um, that's kind of how tolerance generally works, but it's constant back and forth feedback. You know, how did that make you feel? What time did you take it? Blah, blah, blah. All those kinds of questions, but you can dial it in and really get it fine tuned. You just want to get up to a gram. Once you get to a gram. It's doable. It's a lot easier than people think. I think the first few days can be really tough. If they try to take too heavy of a dose, they think it's like so potent, but I think if you can break it up to four doses at four, 0.25 doses per day, that's usually pretty manageable for people or like 3.333s. Uh, like one in the morning, one at lunch and one before they go to bed kind of thing. Yeah, I do point three, point three, point four. That's how perfect. I do that bigger yeah. dose at the right before bed. bed. Yeah, that's actually a good way of doing it. And I think a lot of people can manage that. Um, but starting at that is going to be you're not going to be functional for the first few days for most people. Um, so if you have like a weekend off or something like that, and uh, it's definitely, or especially if you have like a severe cancer, this is probably something people take their life very seriously. And if it's in question, I know a lot of people that have used RSO and are now completely in remission and cancer free. So I've seen it work for lots of people. It, and also sometimes doesn't work for some people. So it is, uh, I think a great option for people to have out there, but we've got some more questions. I, I'm so passionate about that topic. I could talk about it for fucking hours. And Dude, by I the could way, do a whole show on it, man. Donate to Rick Simpson if you have extra funds because he had a stroke 20 years after getting cancer. He removed his skin cancer, he claims, with his cannabis oil. And I personally believe the story. And he's gone on to help many, many, many others with his story and personally by giving them oil. And now he's in a place where he's got a lot of medical expenses from the fallout of having a stroke. And um, so if you have the extra and you can kick it over his way and RSO has helped you, then maybe consider uh, donating because I think he's a really awesome character in this community and uh, just a man of good moral uh, character. And I think he deserves whatever uh, people can spare because he's brought that medicine to my attention and many others and helped relieve so much pain and suffering and uh, in my opinion, saved lives. So I want to thank him enough. I want to add one thing before we move away from RSO and uh, in this just because I was reminded in chat, um, Al the Beastly was asking, how much does RSO help with inflammation? And it helps with inflammation a lot. But if you if you want to target inflammation, like specifically, I would order, you can get these, there's many sites, I don't want to like, throw somebody out there, because I'm not getting anything for it. But um, you can go online and find these hemp flower sites where you can get a ordered right to your house and it comes with testing so you can see how it tested the flower tested and you can even go after minor cannabinoids like if you knew that there's some like you read a study that you know whatever it is you know whatever minor cannabinoid shows promise in uh, in this case inflammation you can target that and pull it out of the hemp market for super cheap you can even buy trim off the hemp market for really cheap 
And you can make some of these uh, blended oils where you can take some hemp flour, put it in with your regular THC flour, and now you're getting a fuller spectrum because you can pull in that CBD. CBD, of course, is really good for inflammation. And that's what um, I like to use the CBD for as well. Or you can just do like I did as I just did a whole run of just the CBD flour. So I'd have CBD RSO. That's my, oh shit, I'm too high. I can take a CBD capsule and be really good. So there's lots of ways to do it. But if you're looking to target inflammation, I would mix the two together and make the RSO or make the two RSOs and mix them together. However you want to do it. I think it'd be easier to mix the flour together and then, and then make the RSO that way the oil will be blended together. There's CBG hemp too. And, uh, I don't care if you plug, I, I always show this point. I think it'd be nice if you do know one, I know Skillbo orders off of one of those hemp sites. My problem is I don't know who's actually like testing for pesticides, heavy metals. Like what is a good one? If you do know one, so if people want to use was happy, I think it was called happy buds. Uh, with a Z, I believe, at the end. So H-A-P-P-Y and then B-U-D-Z, maybe. Our Skibbles in chat. Skibbles, shout it out, man. He, know, he knows what's up. He's recommended me one. He got a CBG batch that he actually liked. I think he did a tincture with CBG. And he's done CBD tinctures. He's done THC tinctures. So it's really cool. He does the rollerballs over there with a whole bunch of different other good stuff. So shout out to Skilbo. Thank you for listening. And shout out to the Michigan Bros Grow Show. They're going to be on in about an hour. So make sure to check them out later. Um We've got even more questions over here in the chat because, like I said, if I get off, me and Spartan start talking about RSO, we could just have a whole night of RSO talk. And some people would love that, but I'm sure we'll uh, get other people's ear off. Cannabis Flower asks, should I use aircon heater dehumidifier inside my tent or condition the room right outside my tent? Kyle, you've got a little bit of time left, so I want to let you answer this before you have to run. I'm sorry, could you repeat the, uh, the question one more time? Basically, should they run their air conditioner, heater, dehumidifier in the tent, or should they air condition the room around outside the tent? I mean, I think, well, it, could be, if it depends on if it's a space issue or not, or, or what the scenario is. I mean, I've tried a lot of the, the portable air conditioners, uh, have a pretty heavy uh well the key first of all where i screwed up the whole way down the road with this is you gotta make sure you try and get the air conditioner that has the the in in the exhaust in the uh the intake so that way it's not sucking from within the tank uh, i'm sorry within your tent or if you have a groom it's probably different um but um so that's something i had a problem with is and then i had to like customize like i put like a box and then tape the box down and duct it that's just like a whole problem um but uh I mean, I run everything right outside of my tent. You know, for me, it's I, I just condition the air around the tent, and then uh, I basically have a, um, I think it's probably around like a, I don't know, maybe fifty gallon like storage uh, container, but it's on wheels, and I just basically have my two, uh, you know, my air conditioner. I have it set up on milk crates, and which gives me enough height, and it allows the drainage to come off into that. Uh, storage container and then I basically just roll it into my, my bathroom dump it into the tub because I mean it fills up within three or four days and then I just roll back and uh, that's kind of how I do things because the air conditioner I have is a it's a, it's a dual it does the it conditions the air plus kind of sucks on all the moisture and I find it to be a pretty pretty convenient setup it's only like a couple hundred bucks or maybe you know two three hundred dollars at the, the local grocery store um, but I guess, I'm sure it's situation dependent. I mean, I've tried doing it inside. It just takes a lot of real estate if you have a tent. But, uh, you know, it's just, I mean, but the key is if you're, as long as you're conditioning the outside air and then you have, you know, your 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 fans blowing in, 
so obviously you now you're getting fresh air and then, then you have some uh, ducting out and that's so that's why if i have passive air coming in from below and then i have uh two two eight inch exhaust fans blowing out on the top that that are exhausting into carbon filters um and that's kind of if, if someone you guys can picture that that's kind of how i have things set up um but uh, on that note i do appreciate everything you guys are doing i'm, I'm still uh i'm having to do some classes for my driver's license still so i'm, I'm kind of consumed on that before it gets too late uh, or else i lose my license but um yeah i'm just glad to be here uh, if anybody's looking for feminine seeds if somebody jumped on late and didn't uh, catch it i do have a website it's the letter p followed by breeding.com um, i'm on all social media and if you guys want to reach out please feel free i, I, I communicate pretty heavily on on there um I do do a giveaway every Wednesday. It's on Instagram. Uh, it's just, there's a lot. So I'm only kind of maintaining it on there. Um, or just reach out to me on email and, you know, I can situate somebody if somebody wants to get in and they don't have social media, I'll work with you. But uh, I appreciate everybody being here and everyone uh, have a good night. Thanks for coming, Kyle. I always appreciate you. Have a good night and take, get that stuff taken care of. Don't want to lose that license for sure. Yeah, man. Cheers, buddy. Have a good one, Kyle. So the question, uh, Spartan, I guess, or anybody else want to jump on the, should they air condition inside the tent or should they do outside the tent? Um, I do what, what, what Kyle said, because if you put the air conditioner in the tent, you're losing floor space or whatever. It's Yeah, you got to be losing floor space. Or you're working with a mini one that's not going to be as efficient. Weird, yeah, I don't know. I don't know about anyone that's going to be able to, but so yeah, I, I pretty much do it like him, but it like you said it's all dependent on the situation and if it's a huge room or if it's like a three by three in the garage you can't then i would figure out some way to maybe you know you know what i'm saying you're not gonna like build it in, box it in. The whole garage yeah you have to figure out so it's all situational but because where i'm at i have two tents in one room and they fill the entire space except for like a walkway a foot that I have to sneak through on either side, but just one side actually, and then a foot behind it. And so that the AC in the window can cool the whole room, but only one tent is on at a time. So it's only generating heat at once, you know, one side. <clears throat> so that's how I do that. So I like Brandon had a technique where he had a mini tent next to his tent where he had an air conditioner yeah. inside that tent and he was piping the cold air into the tent when it was hot, essentially when and it needed it. Out the, right. He did the same thing that Kyle was talking about where he put the box over the part where it's shooting out and then he put like a vent on it. So it directly ducted into the next one, which I think is definitely a cool strategy. It was like a two by, it was one of those tiny little, like almost like uh, display tents that like, they're not even really meant. Some people do grow in them, but they're super, super tiny, but uh, go ahead. Spartan Gron. So this is my, my strategy a little bit different. Um, I always am trying to, to think three or four steps ahead if I can, because the one thing that I hate the most is going down and looking at my shelves full of shit I bought that I didn't need. That pisses me off or shit that I outgrew and then I'm not using it anymore. I hate fucking just shit laying around. So what I would do in that situation is if the room is giant outside the tent, I would build a smaller room around, you know, just enclose the tent, but leave me enough space for all of those, all that equipment for the same reasons that Todd was saying, I don't want to sacrifice room in my tent when I can put it outside the tent. I would, if I don't have a room, I would build a room around it. The reasoning for that is, is that I could set up all my HVAC and all that, all the temperature control, all the, all that stuff on that outside of that room, you know, it's called the long room. 
And then I can grow into that space and just take that fucking tent down and all of my equipment's already there and set up. I just had to take the tent down and now my, you know, room just got bigger. And that's exactly what I've done. I've started out in a tent, but I'm no longer in a tent. But what I did was I built a flower room next to it. And then I built a dry room. And then I built a, I took the tent down and uh, just built a, you know, the long room that it was already in just became the bedroom. So no longer a long room, then it just became a bedroom. And all my equipment was already, already in there and installed. I didn't have to move anything. All I had to do is take the tent down. Hanging another, hanging an extra light. <laughs> it's definitely nice to grow into the gear as opposed to growing out of it and having it sit on a shelf. Uh, that is one annoyance, and they, you can always sell it, but then it gets into the position of like, then you're like putting it out there that you grow, and who do you sell it to? Who do you give it? And you have to transport it, shipping it. It's just, it's a pain in the ass. So I'm with you on not wanting to buy stuff and then have to like not use the thing that I was talking about, Tao, when you said, oh, it's going to take up your floor space. People in the cannabis growing community. The scale is far and wide. So like there are people growing in five gallon yeah. buckets, space buckets, yeah. right? And then there are people growing like my tiny ass five square foot tent where I actually thought about for a little while. And I, I used like damper buckets in the bottom of my tent in the first grows before I had a strong enough intake and exhaust fan because I just couldn't control the humidity. But there are like these little, uh, probably the size of your hand, um, air conditioner units they're like made for the car right. you can like charge it it's got like a usb and i've seen people use those and the grows and it's like it might not be a, a ton but it's, it's just enough for them to I get i bet you there's someone with a window unit on a step ladder like with a hole cut in their uh tent somewhere you know what i'm saying oh yeah no doubt <laughs> with a bucket underneath it i saw a guy who had like a window unit fan in the back of his tent that was like they cut out the back of the tent just to have the window unit there and it worked really well for him so i mean props to him and the question is so difficult to answer because there's so many unknown variables can you just flower like um if you have an eight by 16 tent it's different than a four by four or than a three by three than like a two by two uh, or two by four and things like that so there's a lot of uh, unknowns but i think that we definitely covered this question and a fair amount of detail but there are so many options like from small dehumidifiers I was considering on Amazon and I was like, that thing is not going to dehumidify too much and I'm going to have to empty it all the time. It's going to be annoying as hell. So it's like, you got to think of the practical ramifications. Kyle gave a good description of how he set it up. But if you have one of those dehues and air conditioners and you don't have a milk crates set up and you know a bucket below to catch it, or a lot of the fancy people direct pipe their shit out. So if they can run it to like a floor drain or somewhere, uh, they have the hose that goes from their AC or dehumidifier and it just dumps it. They never have to remove that thing. That'll make your life a lot more convenient. But part of growing is, and be, it, it's a labor of love. You know, you're going to be doing physical work. You're going to be removing water. You're going to be moving water. You're going to pick it up and fucking pour it through the plants and you're going to suck it out with a shop vac and things like that. We are glorified water boys a lot of the time and uh, cleaners. Like we were talking about earlier, the cleaning between runs. That was a great question because a lot of the time what we're doing is just cleaning up. And if, if you want to have a successful grow, at least, I think you got to keep your stuff clean. And uh, you can't that's say that question. enough, man. You can't even at the commercial level, same thing. It's like, when people ask me, what's it like to work, you know, work in a big place? I'm like, it's 50% janitor and 50% growing. That's pretty much it. Sometimes more janitor than growing. Especially, you're yeah, just trying facility. to be a facilitator, right? Yeah. You're just I mean, trying to facilitate so, the plants to do what they're going to do. Yeah. And when you're at a larger scale, you're really using automation to 
um, make it so that you don't have to do a lot of the garden tests. You're just there. Like you're saying, you're, you're just the babysitter. You're, you're there watching, making sure everything's taken care of. And in the meantime, then trying to keep everything clean. No, I want to draw you into this conversation because I know you've got some experience with uh, AC and DHU. How did you go about sizing your AC and DHU? Did you use like the thousand watt is, I think it's 3,400 BTUs per, you know, X amount of hoods, you're going to need X amount of cooling or what was your approach? Um, well, you know, it's kind of funny the, what Spartan said earlier. I'm the same way. Like I, from when I first started, I have like an old 600 watt, like uh, ballast that I don't use. I have like a four inch exhaust fan I don't use anymore. So like when I set up my room the second time, I did everything overkill because you can always like adjust your settings down. But uh, like I got like a 2000 CFM Fantech exhaust fan. I got like a 36,000 BTU AC. So it's just, I mean, if you can afford to do it, I mean, you just want to do it. You want to do it right. Because if you do it the other way, you know what I mean? You're going to have that four inch exhaust and that, you know, that ballast and the little hood you don't use anymore. Better to just pay up. So that's kind of my opinion. I love the whole thought of saying quality is cheaper in the long run. And if you can invest, if you can afford to invest in like getting the proper size or big enough, or even like a little bit larger than you think you need, because there's going to be that fucking summer heat wave that kicks and it's a little bit hotter than you're expecting. And it's not just the heat from the lights, it's the heat from outside and everything. Um, so I definitely think that overclocking um, things a little bit and the cooling and dehumidifying departments are definitely uh, can be beneficial and, and save your ass in some grows entirely because if it gets too hot for too long, your plants are going to get cooked. That's like one of the major failure points of, of big crops that I've seen. Their whole crop gets too hot, even just for a day. And that could basically like melt your plant or get them unrecoverable. You know, it's not quite the same thing, but you reminded me of something that um, Dr. Jay Lund said, who's a um, University of California professor, I believe, um, talking about drought. I was just reading about how Apparently, according to him, 2021 is the third driest year in 100 years in California uh, for precipitation. 2020 was the ninth driest year on record. Like, things are going to get drier for sure. And the whole West, the, like, yeah. I, I was specifically watching, I think it was like Texas and maybe Arizona area, but they're saying it's like, like a 30 year drought or some ridiculousness right now that they like they're steadily going down, 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 and they haven't had water in so long. It is amazing that it's not being talked about on the news and shit. Yeah. It's uh they can't, you know, politicize or make too much money off of it, or they don't want to admit that they're unfortunately have been catastrophic mismanagements of how to deal with forest yeah. fires and, and water and uh, in general period. Yeah. Just agriculture and, and yeah, forestry. It's like, so much yeah i don't have it's the brutal. i mean aaron the grower is literally not with us tonight because he is miles away from a fire and outdoor fire so that is we're praying going for, for eight, eight days and it's zero. Zero, zero zero percent containment zero yeah. percent containment after ninety thousand acres ninety thousand acres burned zero percent containment um, nine, nine days now we'll spend billions yeah. on dollars and go into war but we can't you know help or leave or can't leave literally us. billions of dollars in equipment why is <laughs> yeah, it that i can't have an mrap why can i not have a striker why can i not have a well i probably couldn't afford them or the maintenance cost but still 
It's the principle that counts. Like <laughs> I will say, give this me my smoke so, grenades at least. You know, guys, <laughs> it was the laser on Jeff Bezos' rocket ship that started. That's right. That fire. That's right. It was. Um, Come on it, was the, it was the Get giant space it. laser. You're right. That's true. Yeah. But is, and going back to the fire <laughs> yeah. in California, I, I think that I can't bring this to people's attention enough. The budget was cut from 52 million to $2 million for clearing dry brush and forest to prevent forest fires and doing controlled burns to prevent basically people's houses being burned down and people literally dying in, in some cases in these past two years. Although they have been the driest, we've also had the most damage from the forest fires because when you cut a budget from 52 million to 2 million for a giant ass state, the fifth largest economy in the world, um, that was Jerry Brown's doing. And then our new governor, Gavin Newsom, who's currently being uh, in a recall election, people are voting to, should we recall him? If so, who should we replace him with? And um, Kevin Paffraff, who's like a YouTuber, meet Kevin, he pointed out that, and many others have, there's been articles about this, Gavin Newsom overestimated his fire prevention by 960%. He said he was doing controlled burns because it prevents actually wildlife death because they can see these fires coming. The endangered wildlife, they don't do it in those territories. They burn air strategic to create fire breaks between neighborhoods. It's actually like 50 bucks an acre to do this versus fighting fires is $1,500 per acre. So when they're having wildfires and they're trying to save people's lives and houses and evacuating people, spending 1,500 bucks an acre, they could have prevented a lot of it by doing $50 an acre work that they cut out of the budget, which it's not like a left or right political thing. That's just a mismanagement of government funding because there's a lot of other money going a lot of other places that could have gone to that and saved lives. And uh, I don't know. I just think it's, it's sad to see that a place like California that can have so much prosperity can also <laughs> allow corruption to have politics basically fuck things up so much that you have people moving out, uh, companies, uh, people, uh, large status people. And it's just a, not to get too dreary. I, I want to get back on the growing topic, but I need to find some questions in chat and uh, get us off of this whole uh, California doom. wildfire sub subject. Well, a couple of people in chat have commented on my red nose. I've got red, lots of red body parts. I was out on the lake. You can see see the sunglass mark right here. And I've got like a little bit of the raccoon look because I was on the lake floating on my back for hours yesterday. And uh, yep, so I'm a little red today. But it actually um, hasn't happened to me in a long time. So it's very serendipitous you say that because a couple of days ago, I too was sun kissed and um, got a little bit red on my neck area and my, my palm, my, the backs of my palms and things like that. But uh, it cleared up pretty well. Yeah, I threw some aloe vera on. I hope I can preserve this color. I actually have a little bit of color for change. So that's, that's cool. Michiganders don't typically uh, get that claim. Although you during the summertime, I was in Ohio oh, and I got more tan in Ohio than I got in California. Cause like out here I'm avoiding the sun. Like I'm trying to like stay in the shade on, I'm, I work outside. So I'm not trying to get like more sun. You can see I have fairly uh, toned skin from being outside all the fucking time. And I still put on sunscreen just because even though I wouldn't typically get burnt, uh, the sun is a giant, basically nuclear reactor putting off radiation all the time. And it does cause skin cancer. One of the families I work with, the dad just had skin cancer removed. So it's a, a real thing and people should, uh, I, I'm a big fan of sun bomb sunscreen. I'll fucking plug that shameless plug. They don't give me any money, but it smells really good. And it's, uh, it doesn't have any fucked up shit in it. No benzene, like the Johnson and Johnson shit. I say it used to, I used to give people skin cancer. That was hilarious. I guess it's not hilarious, but it's fucking crazy. Yeah, it's still happening. There's a recall. Johnson and Johnson. Yeah, there's a ton of them. I keep seeing the uh, 
Yeah, that's messed up. How put this yep. sunscreen on your kids and now there's cancer warning on stuff. Yeah, it's got benzene and the one like that was the big issue. Benzene is a carcinogen, known carcinogen, and that was in a lot of their sunscreen. So you just got to be careful with trusting the big corporations like that, in my opinion, um, because it, that's the fucking ultimate irony, right? You take uh, it's like taking a medicine and then it gives you the fucking uh, thing that you're trying to prevent. Yeah. Yeah, dude, I take my chances with the sun, uh, as you can see. <laughs> yeah, humans have been under the sun since the beginning, I believe, right? Dude, I don't know. I wasn't there. I know. But... Let's ask Skilbo. Skilbo? Yeah, Skilbo would know. He goes, yeah, oh, I remember there. creation. It was a Thursday. <laughs> then people named me after Thor for some reason. I don't know about that guy. <laughs> i tell you what, though. when I go, It's something about... It's obviously the on the water, the reflection is crazy. And I was just stupid not to wear sunscreen. I would wear sunscreen. Um, like when we do the floats, the gross key floats for the Michigan Bros grow show, I wear waterproof sunscreen then just because the first time I didn't, and I suffered. That's the first time I ever had a sunburn where I suffered. And that's maybe that's why I was cocky about it. I never had sun like burn me that bad before where I was like, now this is, this is terrible shit right here. And then other people had it way worse than me either. I've seen people, the people, I can't remember. Was it, might have been FLF. Some of their top of their feet were like blistering up from the, and I was like, oh my God. So you gotta go uh, out, you got to ease into the sun. Like when you harden off a plant. Dude, when you, when you get in a, when you get in a float, you, what are you going to do? You, you got you to float to the end, man. You're tied I in. used to go tan and I used to be, I used to get like brown, like stupid. Not, I never got that stupid. Like when I was one movie. When I was a but kid, I used to get dark, man. Yeah, I did too. When I was a kid, I was often people would often try to tease me and call me like hey, there was that little Mexican or whatever because I would get super dark because I was just I was, I was a farm kid, man. I was just outside yeah. all the time. Yeah, it's a good thing. It back in the day, I mean, like that was like a class thing, and I guess still to this day, it probably could be looked at that way. Um, Definitely still is. I, I don't want to get into the, a lot of the chat has gone into the Afghan situation which i don't think not to offend anybody on this panel, i don't know if we're nuanced enough to discuss it in a much greater detail i do my heart goes out to the people there it's got a rich hash culture and the next highest vote in our poll is concentrate making so i think we can kick it off first by talking about hash making and uh maybe get into other forms of concentrate like we talked a little bit about rso earlier but um in afghanistan people because frenchie made hashish very popular in the modern community for a lot of younger, newer hash users, like the old fashioned hashish. A lot of them think that these countries are making water hash, but they're predominantly actually using dry sift. And Afghanistan uh, being one of those countries who's got thousands of years, potentially plus history of growing and extracting cannabis or receiving cannabis, as Frenchie would say, and making it into hash. So um, one person I see out there who's kind of carrying the dry sift flame there's a guy dry sift wizard um he does like the 10 second sift and he talked about how you're really um not trying to you don't want your trim to be beat up if you're dry sifting you want it to be basically like as pure of the leaf as possible because you're trying to shear the trichome heads and something about dry sifting a lot of people go a little bit too aggressive and get too much plant matter it's a fairly delicate bounce process and the earliest basically sieves are the highest quality Frenchie referred to it as the cream or the creme. A lot of people also refer to it as that. It's the highest grade. Some people call that like your six star, your full melt, um, the best hash that you can get. 
and definitely a lot of people in Afghanistan, uh, like Baba and others, uh, he's the Afghan selection guy, that have been talking about this whole situation actually for months. There were people like breaking down dams and things like that. So it's unfortunate when you see uh, places with rich cannabis history be war-torn and have their own issues like that, that are going to prevent a lot of them from being able to do that. And in some cases, they might lose their lives. So I really um, just wish the best for the people over there um, that are peaceful. And uh, with that said, um, does anybody, the American one, you make uh, the cookies as far as concentrate making goes, how do you go about doing it? Do you use a butter? And what's your butter making process like if you do? I, uh, I did use butter at the beginning and now I've switched to coconut oil and most jars of coconut oil, for some reason, like 14 fluid ounces. So it's not really a pound, but I continue to use four ounces of trim and <clears throat> I get like a lobster pot and I put in enough water to cover, uh, how much, uh, you know, volume of the cannabis is. And then I pour, I, I bring in the water to a boil. I put in the oil and I simmer it for three and a half hours at least. And then I separate it, you know, like a same thing with the Rick Simpson oil. I strain out the material and I let it cool down to like room temperature and then I put it in the refrigerator and then the oil will separate and be on top and the water will stay on the bottom. And then when it's cold, I just pull up the solid chunk of the oil I put it back in the refrigerator and let it uh, dry out. And then I make whatever I want with it, which I always make chocolate chocolate chip cookies because chocolate has anamides in it. And whatever it is, it accentuates the high and prolongs the high supposedly in conjunction with the cannabinoids. So that's why, and I think it's true because I've made gummies and I figured out mathematically the same <clears throat> amount of uh, oil would be equivalent to a cookie and it definitely didn't get me as high so i think there's something to that so we throwing that oil that coconut oil and brownies because usually brownies use oil rather than butter anyway that's true too and yeah you could use it you could use the same amount of oil and substitute for, for any butter recipe except for croissants it won't do right with the croissants they say the fucking yeah, coconut oil up as much it's so easy to infuse too. If you just want to do like a simple infusion with oil, you could just sit it in there for 45 minutes to an hour, strain it, and then that's good to use. We've made brownies like that for years and it tastes great. I couldn't taste the cannabis in it personally just yeah, by doing that process. And chocolate. How is that? There's such a good combination together. They go, that's the thing with coconut oil. You have to find things that coconut goes with because there's some things that it does not go well with. <laughs> That's true. It definitely has the flavor will cut through on a lot of stuff where the brownie might not even know that it was coconut oil. It just tastes like a brownie. And uh, I don't really even notice the coconut, but it could be that I don't mind it or hate it like some people might. But that is a simple infusion. And like butter, it was such a bitch, like boiling it up. It, it stinks up your whole house. It takes a long time. And it just felt like it was a lot more difficult. And I don't think it's just like simply boiling it. Like You have to like keep stirring it and like keep it over a certain heat. Uh, to properly infuse butter is unless you use like a magical butter machine, not to plug them or any of the other infusing devices that you can make infuse butter. I would butter never with. plug them because I hate the way that they do their butter. But go ahead. Yeah, because <laughs> it's a it's an immersion blender and it actually beats up the material, so you get a bunch of chlorophyll yeah. in there, and you end up tasting really, really strongly the cannabis in there. So if you want to make edibles that people know for sure there's some weed in here, 
use the magic butter machine. That's the plug for that, I guess, because we're definitely not green butter. If you want green butter, that's how you do it. It, I guess it Skillbo, I think, makes tinctures and stuff with it effectively. So I guess there are are some functional uses and they have had subsequent generations. So I don't want to knock a cannabis specific brand that might be doing good things for the community, but uh, definitely it might not be the perfect process. You can go about different ways to get good quality. What's your opinion here? And and Tao, you can bring on this too, and anybody else. Um, For some reason, I feel like when I infuse my butter and I'm saying with the same amount of material, when I infuse my butter, it always seems to hit me harder than when I infuse coconut oil. It always seems stronger with the butter for some reason. Are you adding heat in, in one and not the other? No, they're both both heated. I didn't realize. I never, because once I went to the coconut oil, I did butter again one one other time. But when I found out, that, well, I or it seems like to me, let's put it like that, because I don't know, but it seems like the oil comes off the material much easier than the butter does. Like, and when I, and I wring sure. it out really crazy. Yeah. The oil a better return or whatever. More, right. Right. And, um, with the butter, uh, I guess I thought I might, I don't know. It's probably just healthier supposedly with the coconut oil and it's supposed to like go through your, your, into your body easier. Well, the butter that I use, I use high fat butter. I use that uh, carry gold. Well, that sounds good to me. <laughs> but yeah, I, I mean, I'm going, I'm just going by, I know that it's the fat that Maybe, it's, right. infusing, it's, it's infusing the, infusing mm-hmm. into. So I want as much fat as I can. So I get that. It's that. You Irish know what I was wondering, stuff. I asked this maybe here before, is there has to be a saturation point where you could, you can't put in a hundred pounds of cannabis into one pound of butter and it's going to absorb it all. So I'm right. wondering what the saturation point is because I think it depends point, on how much fat, right? So that's right. why I, I, yeah, yeah, yeah. I agree. I mean, you I could agree. do it yourself with regular butter. You just have to melt it down and then skim off the solids and it would be a huge but, pain. Right. How would you figure out what the saturation point though? We need a science crazy so uh, what lab. You would, the only thing I could figure out like just layman's way would be to um, keep increasing the amount of material, well, that keep increasing the amount of material that you input until right. on on testing the thc contents no longer rising right that's what you have to get testing every time yeah but that that's that's the way yeah. it's tough too because it's tough to get consistent material like even run to run and like you could use a pound this run and a pound that run right you that's have to test the material 75 percent well not it would, yeah, even like you talked would. about the half cookie I've, I've heard of stories where like yeah. maybe they didn't mix the pan enough so that like the butter slid to one side and like no one was getting high off of the pe- brownies over on this <laughs> side, but people were getting smacked by the brownies on that side. So it's like the homemade stuff That's you really right. got to watch thoroughly. the fuck out. Yeah, you got to yeah, thoroughly, yeah. dude. I believe that, that yeah, that could be a That's why uh, things like lecithin, um, right. they help to the oil spread it and, out. and everything blend well. Yeah, and it helps with digesting it too. Um, yeah, the uptake I like too, I think. Sunflower. Yeah, uptake, yep. Did you use lecithin with both the uh, butter yeah. and oil i'm trying to figure yeah, out if there's the, any there's a difference so i have this that huge long process i do when i make the butter whereas the oil i'm just doing it in the crock pot also final question this is kind of like uh hippy dippy but did you grow up eating much coconut oil compared to the no. amount of butter so you yeah. are what you eat right as right. some people say my bacteria, your body yeah, my microbes up. in my gut are 100 have broken down way the fuck more butter than they so have you're maybe oil. more readily able to because you've had more butter in your lifetime able to consume it and uptake it 
that's just a bullshit yeah. theory that I'm throwing I, out there, though. Well, that's I heard that sure. theory from some other uh, guy selling something on the internet. He's like, eat like a dog. Like, you eat the same thing every day. Your body you will adjust to whatever you eat every day, and you'll go right into your perfect, uh, you know. Look in the, the blue zones. Every day. That's so Look weird. at the blue zones where people live to be 100 or older. Almost all of them eat at least one of the same meal every single day. Most of them use alcohol daily in very small amounts, like moderation. Nice. They're like right, a light buzz. Right. There, a lot of them are in high altitude. But I think part of that is decision fatigue. Um, people wake up and they have to like choose what am I wearing today? What am I going to eat for breakfast? What am I going to do? And by the end of the day, you're fucking worn out. So a lot of successful people will like, some people will take it to the extreme. They're going to wear all everything they wear, like Johnny, oh, Tash, yeah. like, all black. Good I jobs. only wear black. I, yes. I eat pizza every day for a month. Too. But that was just because I wanted to. But it's definitely uh, it's 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 curious because to get to the centenarian thing, a lot of them uh, they're not even like necessarily wealthy areas or anything like that. It's just they have good social dynamics. They eat a lot of the same food all the time, and they're usually pretty physically active. And uh, there's like three or four common blue zones where people live to be over 100. And the commonality, or not the commonality, the, the crazy thing about that is the life expectancy is dropping in like the U.S. at least. Uh, for the first time in the past 20 years, it was like, yep. some, I want to say like 80 something, 88, and it dropped down to like 86 because so I many. I wonder if that's a statistic thing though. Well, the, what I, an article pointed this out and I think that there's some validity to it. I can't remember who it is to cite them, but there's been a lot of overdoses with like fentanyl and opioids. The opioid crisis has caused a lot of death younger, much younger death, which brings down the average. So when you're having tons and tons of overdoses, people dying younger and there's like violent crime and other things like that which is actually on the last 20 years down but um yeah opioids is a lot of people looking at that as a major portion of the reason why the uh, life expectancy has gone down in the u.s at least yeah it kind of reminds me of the um the controversial nature of like saying things like uh um that like things are less i think that uh what's his name um the guy who wrote uh, uh steven pinker pinkler or something like that he was talking about um how conflict and violence in general in human history is actually at an all-time low or something to this effect and i think that that's maybe true in some cases if you look at data in a certain way uh you know uh and there's a lot of quotes about statistics being false and how you can manipulate them um but i do feel like I do feel like that can't possibly be true in some cases, at least from like a proportion perspective. I just wonder if that's also playing a role here. Like if we have much more people or, you know, if you're having a situation where like from the logic from before, like one of the reasons that life expectancy was thought to be very low was because people weren't accounting for like infant deaths and things like this. But um, so like maybe people aren't, are, are, encount are encountering like more of these sort of like sudden death situations that aren't really, related to like dying of like the typical problems with old age if if that makes sense but i, I have no idea that's interesting i will say for all the opioid deaths that are very real and happening every year thousands and thousands in the u.s a lot of people have found relief fortunately from cannabis there are like literal retreats where people are withdrawing by just using a lot of cannabis i've seen like documentaries vice has followed a few people there's been a several different things documenting people switching from heavy opioid use addiction to using predominantly cannabis or only cannabis. And they've said themselves that it saved their lives. 
Um, and I know people tools. firsthand. One of the tools is RSO that they use there um, to help them when they're going through the withdrawals and all that. Even a high CBD RSO would be something I would be recommended myself. Because you yeah, could do 100%. that cheap. You could do that so cheap. It would be You could help so many people. It's just the time and the amount of effort to, to make it all, you know? It is an option though. And I think uh, people, if you have family members, friends, uh, yourself, if you're struggling with opioids, consider, I mean, I'm sure a lot of you are already growing and using cannabis, but maybe looking into the concentrates and the oils because it's provided a lot of relief for a lot of individuals and um, it can literally save your life. There are to this point, zero mm -hmm. cannabis overdoses and there may be like related deaths where some people claim suicides or car accidents or like if somebody consumed moldy bud and that led to their ultimate demise that those can i think in some cases legitimately be considered cannabis related deaths but as far as consumption goes there is nobody who's consumed enough cannabis who just directly died of an overdose of it um snoop dogg i think has been trying for years and he has successfully avoided it so if he can fucking smoke i think he's like 50 months a day Let's asterisk this and uh, still the jury's still out with concentrates. You know, we haven't been consuming concentrates for many, 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 many years as, far, as, as, as much as we have flour. I mean, but like hash, I think there's hash no jury out. for hundreds or thousands of years. There's pe people been eating hash bang in India that a lot of the people. <laughs> Is that the same there was level no of concentration? It's not, not exactly the concentration. Yeah, it's not exactly like a 90 or the temperature or anything. anything. Yeah, no, it's totally different. And I think in some cases the temps might be it, higher. They're extracting some stuff at lower temperatures to get the terpenes. That like Afghani hashish, they're like blowing stuff like uh, propane torches over like a hubcap and like smashing it down to like decarboxylate it and yeah, stuff. That's true. Yeah. But with that said, I do agree that there might be like personally, I feel terpenes are like the secret benefit, but also the secret potential harm. Cause I saw a lot of stuff about dabbing at too hot of temperatures and that being really caustic and harmful to your lungs. If you dab like over 700 certain terpenes change and volatize and turn into things that are really harmful for you. And on top of that, when you're extracting to like a distillate, like Noah or whoever just mentioned 99% is a lot different than a 60% hashish and 99% pure distillate every single day. I think maybe that could be related to where some of the uh, CHS cases are coming from because we've never had that pure or high of a quality or quantity of just pure, whatever it is, THC distillate or whatever it is. Um, there's a lot of things that we don't know. And those are newer um, products to the market to have something so just pure, whatever it is. Um, terpenes, some people have lab extracted terpenes they're ordering from whateverterpene.com and they're using that in their mixes. They're using it in their pens. And when you heat those up, it, they're cleaners. Like they literally use them in pledge. Pinene, limonene are floor cleaners at high enough concentration. They are caustic. They can strip paint. It is a serious thing. Like the plant grows it. The American ones, amyaces, just killed an ant that was crawling on it. I just pulled an ant off the leaf because the trichomes are so sticky. It literally killed it. I didn't have to do anything. I didn't spray anything. I looked down at the, I actually took photos and I was like, oh shit, there's a bug on there. And it kind of looked weird. And I went in, it just ended up being an ant. But yeah, terpenes uh, definitely have volatility to them. And uh, I think that there needs to be more research done and that people need to try and consume safely as possible. I had a thought and I lost it. That's a product of uh, maybe using this disty pen with some terpenes.
but short term memory loss, man. I don't know. That's a cause and effect. I would be careful about that. I don't know. It would just be correlation. <laughs> I'm only joking, but uh, I guess we do have some time left. And uh, I think we've touched on concentrate making. Uh, that isn't necessarily our specialty. We are the growing with my fellow growers crew. Some of us uh, touch on that. And uh, Noah, I'm curious, do you do any uh, edible making or uh, concentrates of your own? Uh, yeah, allegedly. I've done some stuff like that before. <laughs> um, yeah, uh, the way that I've made concentrates uh, that um, is really good, not concentrates, uh, uh, edibles, is with uh, coconut oil. And um, then just use it like, you know, as a you know, like butter, like you would in your recipes and stuff. But I found that the coconut oil, like, uh, works best for me. So, I mean, but everybody has their own personal preference. So There's definitely some health benefits to it and it it works and it's easy to work with in my experience. So that, that is one of the reasons we did it. It made things really, really simple. Uh, it was our go-to for a long time and I've gone to like RSO and different other ways of consuming now, but it's, uh, a great option still for anybody out there. And I think it's affordable and widely available. So can't really go wrong. And the organic stuff is even fairly priced for, I think Tao said it's 14. That's one of the things with inflation that people don't think about. They used to sell 16 ounce coconut oil jars and now it's 14 ounces. They sell it at the same price sometimes. So you think, oh, shrinkflation. No yeah. So the shrinkflation or whatever they want to call it. I don't know. Well, you no, know, butter, I, still, I, butter still comes in 16, still comes in pounds. Like it's just coconut oil. It's just so weird. It's not just coconut oil. It's cereal boxes. It, it is chips. Oh yeah. It's everything else. Oh yeah. Else. yeah. Twinkies are back. like seventy-five percent of the size they used to be. It's like cho- yeah, everything. Yes, you're right. Oh, it's just beginning too, guys. You just wait. You know, it's going to get a lot worse. Um, I I was gonna ask. Uh, I was. I had this like funny thought. Um, you know how, or maybe we've talked about it a little bit before, but like. For example, we don't make um, our own vitamin C. We have to get vitamin C from other fruits and stuff. And uh, some of our, our very, 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 very old ancestors were able to just biosynthesize vitamin C. Where I'm going with this is that the reason why that was selected out was because there was such an ab- abundance of vitamin C like uh, containing sources that they could not biosynthesize it have some sort of mutation that made that go away and be totally fine now i wonder do you think that i mean this is just totally speculation and probably won't occur but it would be kind of ironic if that happened too with us and using uh, cannabinoid products so much probably won't get rid of our endogenous cannabinoids but um it's kind of interesting to consider how maybe certain substances that we that we consume that are maybe not primarily food substances or for nourishment for nutrient uptake um you know over over spans of time i've had this thought and i'm sure there are people have also had this thought like whether it's like drugs like alcohol psilocybin of course these things can have other effects um what we know know is ssris like ssri they actually change your ability in the future to produce your own serotonin so if you take a large enough amount for a long enough time, there has been cases where people are no longer able to functionally produce their own serotonin without being on some sort of chemical regulation or a pharmaceutical, um, or at least not for long times without severe, severe ramifications. So neurogenesis for psilocybin, for example. Um, and, and of course, there's the stone ape theory out there. Um, and I guess this is kind of like a similar sort of thing where 
I wonder how human culture, um, even in like the the several millennia that we're counting now, not not even considering like you know more more time than that of development, but like using like caffeine, like we have like in sodas and various other things. Um, uh, uh, what's another good example? I mean, cannabinoids is another one we're talking about. But I wonder if like the the high intensity use of all these substances, even other pharmacological substances. Um, might have some interesting effects on us as a population moving forward. Um, I'm very curious about that kind of stuff because I think that like, in the same way that we've talked about the famous story of how, um, you know, navies that had oranges were allowed to, you know, not get scurvy because they were able to have the fresh produce and that sort of thing. Um, And how our ability to process alcohol allowed us to also kind of take these long journeys of, of um of movement across the globe and and various other things it's just interesting how impactful these substances are from their humble beginnings maybe even as just a deliriant or some some sort of like entertaining substance you know what i mean i just i just find that kind of artistic and beautiful it is uh nature is beautiful in that way i think in a sense uh eric i asked Jack Greenstock you ever have a plant that doesn't seem to want to finish any ideas Personally, no, I have not. I do have ideas, though. Um, I've had several growers at this point, probably 10, that have asked me the same question in the past in DMs, usually. They're sending me a photo. They're like, this is 11 weeks, 12 weeks, 13 weeks, and it's still throwing white pistols, um, stigma, whatever you want to call them. It's still looking like it's almost like producing more flour, and it's just going to keep going and going forever. Um, I would usually ask questions like, is the temperature really high? Is it super hot in there? Um, how's the environment so make sure the environment's dialed in but if it is dialed in which i'll assume that it is it just might be a genetic that is really long flowering i would go from your 12 12 which you're likely running to an 11 13 for at least a week or two then try dialing that back if it doesn't work all the way down to 10 on and 14 off that's the most extreme i've ever cut anybody back to but they're like this thing is never going to finish and i had them go 10 hours on 14 hours off and all those white hairs started turning and the buds started filling out and it stopped like kind of like vegging almost in flower it was like almost looked like it was re-vegging, but flowering still. And just like once we went 10, 14, it finally finished. So those would be my tips. And I'm curious if anybody else on the panel has thoughts for Eric I, because I just saw another question I'm going to go grab from the chat. No, that's what I would do. But sometimes some of them would just keep throwing off white hairs, you know, forever, I would say. Yeah. So for, yeah, I would ask questions like, so for me, I'm looking at like five different things or so to make a decision on whether it's time to harvest or not. So if one of those things doesn't check the box, it doesn't mean it's, I'm not going to harvest. You know what I mean? For me, I need like, if it's checking about four of those boxes, I'll harvest that bitch. But, um, you know, so white hairs, I've harvested plants with white hairs before and they were narcotic. So, you know, some plants will just keep on going like, like what you guys said, but, um, I would make sure that some of the, you know, as long as like the track, everything else was right. Like the plant was senesced, like it's showing you some colors and you got, um, especially if you're getting yellowing, if you're getting yellowing in your families, that's no big deal. But if you're getting yellowing in your sugar leaves and though, and that's starting to creep towards your bud, that's going to be an issue, especially for at least bag appeal. And then, um, what else? Uh, how much is it drinking if you're if you're watering it and no, norm normally it, it's dry in a day or two and it's 
still on that schedule, then, you know, maybe it is still wanting to grow, but if you're watering it and it's not wanting to drink for another two, three days, yeah, she's probably pretty close to being done. I mean, there's all these little other clues that if it's everything else is telling me that it's ready to harvest and there's just one thing telling me it's not ready, I'm going to ignore that one thing. It's amazing. The white hair is being narcotic. I had platinum Yeti next to a sour 76 and the sour 76 was like done, done for like two, maybe three weeks before the platinum Yeti. But I was at the point where I'm like, I'm always harvesting the whole entire tent at the same time. Like that's how I was in my operation at that point. So once uh, I started seeing some purple in the platinum Yeti, even though it's all white hairs, when I chopped it just through the dry phase, those white hairs turned to orange. And that bud was to this day, still some of the most narcotic sit you on the couch. You cannot get up to do anything, but I ever smoked and had white hairs all over it when I chopped. So I was like, Oh, like, and it was stretchy too. And it had thin fucking sativa leaves. So it broke all the stereotypes for me. And one girl I was like, Jesus, like this, all these lessons you learn on certain grow websites, they don't necessarily always apply. So you have to grow the genetics, smoke it and, and have the experience yourself because everybody's endocannabinoid system is so different. With that said, Spartan grown and your endocannabinoid system is going to keep getting charged up at the Michigan Bros Grow Show in about 15 minutes before that. I'll let you uh, go and refill your trays, check on the dogs and get yourself something to drink. So uh, any final thoughts and shout outs before you go? I just want to yeah, shout out to everybody on the panel and in chat, man. That's that's why I come back and this man, I, I really do this shit than watch TV, do any of that other shit, man. This is this is real life shit, not some fucking bullshit escape reality stuff. So I appreciate each and one each and every one of you. I almost fucked that up. <laughs> Keep growing, everybody. Growers love and fuck the MCMA. <laughs> See you guys. Peace out, Spartan. I love all Kazoo Kush's artwork that he's been doing. Fuck MCMA and oh, Medical yes. Mondays has been killing Shout it out too. Kazoo, man, he's killing it. Later, man. Cheers to Michigan, Spartan Grown. Have a great night. Uh, that's at Spartan Grown on Instagram. You can email at SpartanGrown at gmail.com. And that's the way to reach out to him. He's a cool dude. He's killing it up there in Michigan. He works at Mitten Canico as well. They are doing big things. I can't wait to see them on Canna Cribs whenever that drops. Uh, just awesome dude. Always happy to have him. Brings a lot of positivity and knowledge to the community. So, uh, we're always grateful to have him here. I know the Michigan Bros Grow Show are as well. And uh, we're coming into that last 15 minutes. And we could talk a little bit about maybe uh, Noah and the American ones, seed popping, cloning, and early veg strategies before uh, we give Matthew a second to give us an IPM update and we'll uh, tie it up and call it a night. Okay, so seed popping, cloning, and early veg stage? Yeah, just general thoughts on those. Do you, uh, what's your seed popping strategy if you do pop seeds and then uh, cloning idea? And then any, what are your parameters you like to set for your veg room and veg space if possible? Well, you, you never have enough. You think, you think you don't need as much, but you, you always need more. Um, uh, I like to uh, make sure that my, uh, if I'm going to use an arrow cloner or um, if I'm just going to use a typical, you know, dome cloner, it's very clean every single time. I want to make sure my scissors or my razor blade, if the razor blade, I'm going to use a brand new one. If it's scissors, I want to make sure that they're dipped in like 99% uh, or the best alcohol, probably alcohol you can get. Um, I always tell everybody if you, if you can, you know, there's legal perimeters, but if you can, if you want two clones, make three. That way you can pick, you know, if one dies, you're good. You can throw one away. I like to, if I can, even make like, you know, I'll put three in. And then if I want even just one, as soon as I see that like two of them are rooted, whatever one rooted first, that looks the healthiest. I'll just take the other ones out right away and, and do that. Um, there's, there's a lot of different strategies. Uh, 
I like to go from an arrow corner. I like to go right into uh, a Dixie cup and let that get established for like, maybe like, you know, two weeks, maybe even three weeks. Just depends on where I'm at in my you know back, you know, log on my stage. That way I can, you know, get that plant established and then I can transplant it and, you know, into to some bigger pots, you know, and uh, that's pretty much what I do. Uh, seed popping. I'm not like, you know, that's not really my forte. I, you know, I have got a lot of experience with it, but the cloning and the, you know, the veg stage is uh, definitely something, you know, you want to make sure that you're not giving your, your plants early in veg. If any newts, uh, you know, very, very diluted, it's very easy to burn them. So uh, yeah, that's probably the, the stuff I would do. Great tips. Uh, the American one, since he uh, didn't really touch on the seed popping, what are your strategies for popping seeds? And then maybe you could touch on cloning and your uh, veg parameters. Well, I've been trying a little everything with the seeds, but I think that uh, I've been settling on putting them in a Ziploc baggie with the paper towel and then putting them so the, the bag is like up and up, like up and down. Like either thumbtacking it to the to the, at the top on a thumb board or something, and then letting the so that the roots won't grow into the paper towel, they'll go straight down. Uh, I know someone who puts it on a cookie tray and puts wet paper towels on a cookie tray and then has like books and slants the cookie tray. It's like a you know seventy degree angle or whatever, and he has no problem either. But I've noticed recently that the ones that I started that I like get a longer root top. <clears throat> When I transplanted them, they were fine. And a couple of the ones that just had a nub coming out, they never, they never came up at all. And uh, so I think I'm going to start attempting that maneuver. And the cuttings, I, I've been starting them in uh, solo cups lately. And I go from the solo cup to a one gallon to at least a five gallon, but I think I'm just going to skip to the seven gallons. And uh, yeah, that's pretty much my early veg. I would say if you if you get a good spot where your clones are going good uh, and taken, just don't move it and just do what you're doing there, you know, because I've moved them. And yeah, I've, I've had struggles with cloning sometimes. I think everybody um, has, if they're being honest, man, at one point or another, cloning is a sure. bitch for everybody. They've had a run that didn't go for them and it was a bummer and they lost stuff that they wanted to keep oh, and that's, or didn't get that's enough. Why, yeah, always cut more than you need this way. If, you know, if especially if it's important to you, then take more than you need, and then yeah, your odds will be better. at least two if you really want to keep it. <laughs> That's my thought. Is never have just one if you really really love it. Have at least two copies, and maybe have it backed up somewhere else if you have a trustworthy friend. But if not, uh, maybe learn how to tissue culture. That's a cool thing to do, <laughs> but uh, probably unattainable for certain people. I definitely want to learn myself. I'm still studying i haven't gotten the things yet because personally i don't take tons of clones uh i like popping seeds i like growing new stuff each time and seeing the different varieties that are out there and then sometimes mixing them together and breeding them up and making my own seed um but i want to shout out johnny uh johnny candace went to home depot got himself a bag of sand for like five bucks put it in a plastic tray he takes his cuts with just water i think he adds aloe to the water to be fair he does add just a little bit of fanciness to it but i don't think it would need aloe water he wet the sand stuck the clones in there 100 have rooted every single time and he's done it like 20 plus clones like three or four runs five and they've rooted it sometimes less than a week and they're really strong roots like if he lets them go two weeks they're grown so much through the sand that he has to like break them apart with a spoon so i hadn't seen that i guess it's a common practice in uh citrus nurseries 
for how they clone or something or he saw it in some other gardening channel and he's like i'll try that with my cannabis and it worked so cheers to johnny um johnny candy for that that's a cool technique matthew have you seen any good ipm questions that you want to touch on on the recording because i know i've seen you answer some stuff in the chat yeah i wanted to just get some of those in the text and um maybe give like a just a general i was already starting to do that here but i'll do it um verbally as well um just a just a little update i think it's most helpful to give people an idea of like where some pests i'm seeing are becoming more common but i'm getting asked about a lot more just as sort of a general primer so i just had somebody actually works for the usca reach out to me uh telling me that um they saw my video about beet curly top virus and they were commenting that although it seems to be very much more common um, in Colorado and in uh, Arizona and Nevada, it is also becoming more common in California, which is no surprise because it does already exist in many parts of the U.S. and globally. So beet curly top virus, I want to just touch on because I have a video on it that shows early and late symptoms on my YouTube channel, and it's vectored by the beet leafhopper, and it only has to feed once or twice a few times to transfer the virus. And then you are pretty much in great trouble because as far as I'm concerned, as far as I know, there's really no conventional way of dealing with this virus and other viruses. So you should really um, be careful because, <laughs> because uh, the beet leafhopper feeds on a lot of different plants and the virus can be asymptomatic in other plants. So you might have no idea that a plant next to your cannabis plants um, especially in a home grow, might have BCTV, and then a beet leaf hopper comes around, uh, trundles up, drinks up the BCTV, and then transfers it to your plants, and you had no idea. So just be very vigilant about that. Other things that I'm seeing a lot of is people are asking me about damage that I associate with uh, Pseudomonas cannabina, which is a bacterial pathogen. It's a foliar pathogen that you see on your leaves. So look up, um, and I put up the names in the chat so you can look those up. Um, septoria is also a fungal pathogen in the foliage that people are um, asking me about a lot more as well. And of course, moving on to insects, something that people see a lot more lately is the Eurasian hemp borer. Um, fall armory worm is a pretty impressive problem currently in a lot of places, cannabis and, and other otherwise. And uh, the, um, the always infamous um, uh, corn earworm, Helicoverpazia. So those three mods, if you haven't already dealt with them, you should definitely find ways of defeating them before they become a threat. And my main way of doing that, that I suggest is physical barriers, whether they're solid or permeable, like mesh screen can be really helpful indoor and outdoor. It's still underutilized. I follow a lot of growers and I see a lot of them not using it, <laughs> the mesh screen. It's like, it's so rare that I see it. I just don't quite understand why, but it maybe is the expense or the installation, the actual physical process of putting it up. Um, but it seems like it'll block a lot of people's problems. If I, if and when I'm moving up to a larger scale, I plan to implement that. But uh, it seems like I'm not seeing it very much. And I'm just curious, is that your kind of experience as well? People are not tending to spring for the extra protection? Yeah, people tend to not be that way. I'm not trying to be judgmental about it. I do think that there's it's understandable people are just trying to see especially if they're doing it themselves man do i really want to like kind of do this complicated thing where i have to put a, a sheet over or maybe make a more permanent structure and sometimes people are growing in a situation where it's not very conducive or 
um, it might not be copacetic with their people that they're living with or their neighbors. It might be too much of a you know, red flag, perhaps. And, and I think also mesh screens tend to make things look kind of ugly to a lot of people, which is totally fair, um, especially in like in outdoor settings. But uh, if you're really worried about the pests, I would, I would highly emphasize that. To me, it's just a, if you want consistent crops and you want to give yourself the best likelihood of success long-term, whether it's the, you know, leaf hopper or some other pest, you can prevent so much of it just by implementing this one-time cost for the most part. I mean, it might have to be patched up here and there or replaced every so many years, but it'll, in my opinion, uh, reduce a lot of people's headaches in cultivation and they'll sort of get used to the look after uh, probably a week and uh, it'll basically save the money on other forms of IPM ideally because they won't necessarily need a spray as harmful or as noxious or as a high volume of other products that they might, if they didn't implement the uh, screen. So definitely, uh, I just want to continue to push it and get that idea out there to people, even on a small scale, it's uh, implementable in your home grow over like windows or whatever, just like the grow room uh, exhaust window. If you have a tent or a small grow space, it's something to consider. I've seen people actually on the smaller size, take their intake fans through a box that has a good level of filtration. And I appreciate that for a number of reasons. I, I think it's a great strategy, but with that being said, I'm going to pass it over to Noah the Grower to uh, give his final thoughts and shout outs before we sign out. Hey, thanks, man. Uh, yeah, uh, I had a good time and uh, I've been uh, being, I've been really busy, so I haven't really posted any of my, some of my new stuff. I got in my room. I got some really good looking stuff. I'm going to be posting on Instagram here coming up, but uh, yeah, I'm over there at Noah the Grower with two E's if you want to find me. And um, I'm here on uh, Grow with my fellow growers, you know, most weeks. And um, yeah, thanks a lot, Jack. I'll see you guys all next week. Thank you as always for joining us. It's a pleasure to have you. And I look forward to seeing some of the new stuff in your room because you consistently have put out beautiful looking buds, grow after grow. And uh, I respect anybody who has the dedication to keep doing it year after year and uh, putting out the medicine for themselves and others. So thanks again for joining us, Noah. Next up, we have the American one. Jack, as always, thanks for hosting the show and shout out to Noah the Grower and Matthew and uh, Kyle predicated breeding and an absence of uh, Brandon Rust and Dr. MJ. Um, it's good to uh, be here to the, this week and shout out to everyone in chat. I'm the American one. And uh, yeah, everyone have a great week. Thanks again for joining us. Always a pleasure to have you. You're the first one here this week on the Zoom call. It always uh, makes me a little more at ease when somebody shows up before uh, you know, 59, like the minute before the show and a few people did this week, which is always nice. And, uh, not, not to say that you need to be here early or anything. I always appreciate anybody showing up at any time early, late on time, whatever. It doesn't matter to me. I always appreciate everybody on the panel and the time that they give speaking of which Matthew Gates, uh, do you have any final thoughts and shout outs? It's cliche, but I really appreciated the chat interactions. Uh, I always do. I always like seeing the similar names and also the new names and all the good questions. Um, it shows that people are being proactive and I like that. So if you want to be proactive, you can find my content about pests and plant health uh, in two or three general areas. The first one is my Twitter account at Sync Angel. You can also find me retweeting a bunch of scientists in soil microbiology and ecology and all these other sorts of really important uh, facets of science related to plant health. You can find me on Instagram, same name at Sync Angel 
where I post a lot of the similar content and also my own content, which I share from my primary account, which is uh, my YouTube channel, Zenthanol, which if you want to support, you can find my Patreon account where I um, have a Discord channel that I help people with in regards to that. And uh, if you're interested in getting some help kind of casually in that way, you can head on down to the Patreon and also my YouTube channel. Thank you, as always, for joining us and make sure to uh, support Matthew and the rest of the panel. I also want to echo what the American one said. Uh, shout out to Predicative Breeding, who was with us earlier. He left about the hour mark. And Brandon Rust, who was not with us this week, as well as Dr. MJ, who's in the middle of moving. Uh, cheers to both of them. And Aaron the Grower Aaron, as well. Yeah, I forgot Aaron. Is, uh, he's actually um, like not battling the fire, but he's prepping his property by spraying down water in the most uh, dry areas. And he this is... In his words, I believe, not his first rodeo or his first fire. So he's been up there for years, and they've actually seen a few come close to them before. I know last year it hit earlier in the crop, but uh, they were able to get through their harvest this year, thankfully, and hopefully they'll be able to get out of there safely because I know they're on their way to Oklahoma soon with uh, teaming up with Kyle, predicated breeding. So uh, thoughts and prayers go out to Aaron, the grower. Great dude, awesome uh, grower and normal panel, panel member. Hopefully he'll be back with us soon. But with that being said, I'm Jack Greenstock, your host. You can find me at Jack Greenstock on Instagram primarily. And uh, I'm also Jack underscore Greenstock on Twitter. If you want to email me, jackgreenstock47 at gmail.com. And if you want a copy of my book, 50 Strains of Green, you can go to 50strains.com. Uh, 50 Strains of Purple is in the works. I've chosen all 50 strains. I'm gathering the photos and I'm also typing up all the reports and things like that. So it's a fun process. I really appreciate everybody's support and uh, getting the first copy and second edition of the book. And uh, this is an awesome community. So look forward to seeing you all next week. Peace and love. Growers love. Signing out. Catch you next week. Happy growing, everybody.